a warmer probably hello. Welcome to all of you, Las Vegas. For Ghost Ghosting with myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you on this most wonderful Thursday. As in the second segment, Danielle Vari, she's also part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts with the LA City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. She's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be looking at both of the LA schools that are going to be in action on Thursday, just the landscape of the Pac-12 as well. So that is going to be a great chat in the second segment. Also. UCLA and USC really playing without fans these next few games, so I do think that that's an interesting aspect to be able to take a look at. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis for every game on the college basketball betting board for this Thursday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarenScore D1. Keep in mind, letters M they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but had a fun day of college basketball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back and try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Out there in the Big East, Villanova did their best to try to give away a game against Xavier, but Xavier unable to pull off the comeback. 64-60 to was the final. Villanova gets up by kind of 34-17. to with, I would say, about 10 minutes left. They were up by a count of 54 to 42, and they very nearly melted in this game as it was tied 56 to 56 in the closing minutes. Villanova able to pull away as Colin Gillespie in this game didn't necessarily play the world's greatest late. He wound up having 21 points on 20 shots, but was able to do just enough for the same. Eric Dixon was really the guy that helped Villanova to victory, in my opinion. 15 points, 10 rebounds, had a good more, and then Justin Moore gave you more with 19 points, 9 boards, and for Xavier, 524 from three-point range. Villanova saw it being able to guard the three-point arc, though they themselves won four of 20, so this was a little bit of a rock fight, but the reason why Villanova won this game, they won 20 of 21 at the free-throw line. This is why I always talk about free-throw shooting when it comes to being able to break down these games, and Villanova wound up winning the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 32 as well as it was really Nate Johnson and Paul Scruggs who carried the mail for Xavier with 15 points apiece. And then the other game out there in the Big East very nearly saw a tremendous collapse at the end as St. John's and UConn wound up going to overtime. St. John's winds up getting down 11 points. They are able to claw their way back. They were up with mere seconds remaining after Julian Champagny made a three. They went to overtime and they very nearly blew the cover in overtime as a double-digit underdog. They wound up closing right around 10 and a half here, but able to hold on 86 to 78. In this game, UConn winds up going 10 of 25 from three-point range and for St. John's. How about Mr. Champagny and what he was able to do for this team? He was able to put up 27 points, five rebounds. Posh Alexander with a double-double in this game with 11 points, 10 boards for St. John's. They did force UConn into 16 turnovers, so did a solid job there and won the rebound battle, but for UConn, they were able to get to the free throw line. 17 of 26 at the line, and Adama Sanogo was the best player out there on the floor. 26 points, 18 rebounds, six big blocks in this game. If you took a look at the ACC action that we wound up having on Wednesday, it was very rambunctious. Duke goes on the road, and they use a 20-1 run that spanned from the end of the first half into the second half to be able to get the W over Wake Forest by a count of 76-64. For Wake Forest, they went 2 of 16 from three-point range. They just did not have it. Meanwhile, for Duke, how about Paulo Banchero? He's looking to get back into the National Player of the Year race, and he was able to show it in this one. 
24 points, 5 rebounds, as Duke winds up going 7 of 15 from 3-point range. AJ Griffin, I believe that this was his first start, and he looked very solid. 22 points in this one as he had been coming off the bench. Meanwhile, for Wake Forest, you wound up having Alondis Williams commit 7 turnovers in this game, which wound up being a little bit brutal. Wake Forest loses that turnover battle by kind of 15-7, to 7, though. Williams was able to give the team 25 points, but the lack of outside shooting really doomed Wake Forest in this one. NC State goes on the road, and they take down a Louisville team that Quite frankly, it's just not good. 79 to 63, the final for Louisville. They wind up going 6 of 14 from three point range, and they still got bludgeoned because they committed 14 turnovers in this game, and NC State just eight. And for NC State, Jerron Sebron wound up having 15 points in this one. But the guy that's really emerging for them, Terquavian Smith. He winds up putting up 24 points. He chipped in there, five rebounds. NC State, 12 of 25 from three-point range against a Louisville team that was supposed to be hanging their head on defense. Virginia, they are back online. They cover the point-to-point half spread, 54 to 52. They take down a Virginia Tech team that has been very underachieving, in my opinion, for Virginia Tech. 7 of 19 from three-point range. They did their job there. Kevi Aluma was able to give you 22.6 rebounds, but for Virginia, what was really key for this team, they were able to do a nice job of not turning the ball over. Eight turnovers for them compared to 12 for Virginia Tech in a game that's very slow and controlled. That means quite a bit. And for Virginia Tech, they got to the free throw line just three times. They went three of three at the free throw line, but Virginia was able to stay within themselves. They did a solid job of being able to win the rebound battle by kind of 31 to 29 as well. So Virginia able to get it done on their home floor. New York Post play of the day wound up going down. Notre Dame was able to take down Clemson by kind of 72 to 56 as Clemson went just six of 32 from three-point range. Could not hit water if they fell out of a boat. Elamir does. We had just six points on 11 shots. P.J. Hall, he wound up chipping in there 14 points and 7 rebounds, but for Notre Dame, 10 of 26 from three-point range as Dane Goodwin was able to chip in there 21 points, and then you had Blake Wesley go out for 20 of his own, a combined 13 rebounds between these two gentlemen, so they were able to get their team to victory. A big-time collapse out there between Cal Baptist and Dixie State. This is a game that was back and forth, which is why I bring it up. Dixie State was leading throughout much of the game, and they were up 67-62 to with six minutes remaining. They then wound up going on this cataclysmically bad run that found themselves down 75-68, to but Dixie State goes on a 10-1 run to be able to finish up the game, and they get the W in this one. So a heck of a comeback win for Dixie State, finding themselves a 7.5-point underdog on the road. They were able to get the job done there out there in the Big Ten. Michigan State, they barely survive a Minnesota team that has been very pesky. 71-69 to for Michigan State. They wound up going from three-point range, 6-14 of 14 from three-point range. But for Minnesota, even though they really didn't get anything whatsoever off their bench, their starters were able to hold in there. They wind up losing the rebound battle by just kind of 33-32. to 32. Not bad for a team that entered into this game. Dead last in the country with regards to percentage of misses that they get an offensive rebound on. 12 offensive rebounds in this game for them. And for Michigan State, the guy that really pushed them to victory in this one was Gabe Brown. He wound up going 8 of 8 at the free throw line when the team needed him. He was able to come up big there, so he was able to do a solid job. But Minnesota looking very much for real out there in the Big Ten, out there in the SEC. LSU, despite the fact that Xavier Pinson did not wind up playing in this game, they go on the run and they take down Florida by a count of 64 to 58. Florida is a team that they just cannot win big games at home. I don't know what it is, but at Gainesville, they almost seem to be worse there than when they play a big-time team on the road. They go 7 of 31 from three-point range, and quite frankly, this is just a Florida team that isn't necessarily that good. Colin Castleton, he did his part. 19 points, signed rebounds, three blocks, but for Florida, they wind up actually winning the turnover battle 16 to 14, but for LSU, they wind up doing a solid job with Darius Hayes being able to give the team 20 points for LSU. 
they were quite charmed in this game because Florida 11 of 22 at the free throw line. Meanwhile, LSU sounded like they were terrific, but 7 of 11 at the line, that certainly is going to fly as Eric Gaines was able to chip in there. 15 points. He wound up doing a solid job being able to go 6 of 7 at the free throw line. Really took hold of the offense a little bit more with Xavier Pinson out of the fold and LSU able to ju- do just enough shorthanded to be able to get the job done. And LSU able to do just enough shorthanded to be able to get the job done. If you wound up taking Cincinnati and you wound up playing right around 10 to 10.5 points, this was a brutal collapse as Cincinnati winds up being up big time in this game. They were up in the first half by a count of 49 to 29, and as a matter of fact, even earlier in the game, 32 to 11, but they do not cover as East Carolina goes on a little bit of a bonsai charge late. 79 to 71, Cincinnati gets a job done, and with Cincinnati, they've actually been improving with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. 8 of 22 in this game as Julian Davenport was able to give the team 22 points, but for Cincinnati, they're just not necessarily great on the glass. They wind up losing that battle by kind of 35 to 34. And for East Carolina, Vance Jackson went out to be able to get you to the window. 35 points, 9 rebounds, 8 of 11 from 3-point range. East Carolina has been yielding some good fruits whenever you've been betting on them out there in the American. Fading Memphis has also been very profitable as they wind up losing again as this team has absolutely no idea what they're doing. 74 to 64, the final for Memphis. 19 turnovers to a Central Florida team that really doesn't cause a lot of turnovers and they went, I'm not even kidding here, 6 of 18 at the free throw line. If you're wondering why Memphis lost this game, there you go right there. And Darren Green Jr., 20 points. He went 4 of 9 from 3. Central Florida's collective, 11 of 28 from distance. And for Memphis, despite being one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball, they scored 64 points in this game. Penny Hardaway has no idea what he's doing as a coach. And it clearly showed right there. And something else that is clearly showing is Verbon playing a little bit of a different style. 98 to 65. They wind up getting the W in this game. 19 of 30 from three-point range. So Vermont has certainly been able to do a little bit of a better job with their outside shooting. Rhode Island was able to get a nice win out there in the Atlantic 10. They take down St. Joe's by kind of 75 to 64. And if you, like me, wound up having the under, well, you were very charmed with what we wound up seeing as there was literally like, I believe it was a four-minute stretch in which we wound up seeing two points in the game. Rhode Island wound up getting up early. It was pretty much tied with eight minutes left to go. And then Rhode Island able to pull away late as Rhode Island wound up having the Mitchell brothers on full display in this one as Mackay and Mikel Mitchell combined for 27 points in this game. They also did a good job down low with a block apiece. And Malik Martin down low, 12 rebounds as for St. Joe's. They wind up committing 19 turnovers in this game. So they're still proven to be relatively trustworthy for them. They wind up getting the job done at home against Duquesne. This has been one of the most mispriced teams that I have seen all season. Another over for Fordham. And they wind up being able to get it done by kind of 72 to 71. This is one in which Duquesne wound up melting down late. They were up 44 to 33. Then they were actually down 63 to 55 and then it became a very much sweaty game late Fordham 6 of 16 from three-point range but how about Chuba Ohms 14 points 16 rebounds eight blocks in this game yeah he wound up winning the team this one as you also wound up having Fordham get an assist on 20 out of their 29 made buckets so these starters were certainly able to come through there you wound up having Mississippi State be able to house Georgia by a count of 88 to 72 as a two touchdown favorite Georgia unable to cover so unlike on the gridiron they are unable to cover those sorts of spreads as Iverson Molinar went off for Mississippi State 11 of 18 from the floor 28 points he certainly was able to show up very well for Colorado State they were able to get the win but no cover against Utah State 77 to 72 the final as this is one in which Colorado State was in very much a sweat late it wound up coming down to late game fouling and 
for Colorado State. They do go 17 and 20 at the free throw line, 10 of 27 from three point range. But what kept Utah State live in this game? A little bit of unexpected production as you wound up getting 20 points from Sean Bearsell. He was able to chip in their five rebounds. Utah State, they wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 32 to 31, but actually won the turnover battle 12 to 9. So got to give them a little bit of credit there. Tulane with another big win on the resume. They have now been able to take down Cincinnati on the road. They took down Memphis, and now they take down Wichita State, 68-67. to And Wichita State was really controlling this game early, being someone that was on Wichita State. This one was brutal. As Wichita State was up by a count of 20-7 to earlier in this game. And if you want to go back even further, 17-4. to And then they just completely melted down late. Ty Etienne was able to give the team 20 points, but... For Wichita State, the bench was not necessarily so great for this team. They went a combined 3 of 14 from the floor. Meanwhile, for Tulane, it was all about the Jalen's in this game. Jalen Forbes, Jalen Cook. They wound up being able to combine for 38 points in this game, despite losing the rebound battle by kind of 38 to 30 if they get it done. And you do want to know for Wichita State, they had to give Joe Pleasant the start because you did have Maurice Oduzzi, among others, test positive for COVID-19, be out due to health and safety protocols. So that had a little bit of something to do with it, but certainly not necessarily the world's great look there, and this is not the world's greatest look for Kansas State, as it seems like we're seeing more and more meltdowns in college basketball than ever before. TCU wound up getting down in this game by a count of 42-36 to in the second half, and if you want to get even bigger, 40-30, to but they come all the way back, and they wind up being able to get the W by a count of 60-57, to as Kansas State is on the wrong end of an 8-0 to run in the final buck 57 of the game for TCU. They wind up going just 6-20 of for three-point range at 12 of 23 at the free throw line. Fortunately, Kansas State went 11 of 22 at the free throw line. There's been worse free throw shooting in all of college basketball than I've ever seen in my life, but for Kansas State, they did wind up having Marquise Noel go off for 18 points, 7 seals, but the guy that got it done for TCU, how about what you were able to get out of Mike Miles, 19 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, so he was able to come up very clutch for this TCU team, and for TCU, they were able to get 12 offensive rebounds and won that battle by a count of 42-29 to overall, so TCU able to get you to the window. Things have returned to normal for Missouri. They got bludgeoned by Arkansas. 87-43. to This was a game that was very much non-competitive as there was a point in this game in which Arkansas was up by a count of 35-9. So, boy, oh boy, that was bad. And for Missouri, they don't score a single point the final 319 of the game. So, if you wound up having the over in this one, you could thank Arkansas for the reason why it didn't get there. And Speaking of being able to get there, Washington winds up winning on their own floor against Cal by a count of 64-55 to for Washington. They were down throughout much of the game, but they were able to use a big run late to be able to get the job done. This was a game in which Cal wound up going just 4-11 of 11 from 3-point range to job 50% from the floor. Problem is, they had 17 turnovers in this game. Washington, they themselves had 14, but Terrell Brown Jr., one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball, 21 points in this one. And Nate Roberts, welcome back, Potter. He had been playing like 10 minutes a game, and he wound up having 12 rebounds in this one, so seems as though Washington found out, oh yeah, we've got a big man that can actually rebound. Let's put him in the game, and then if you wound up watching Maryland versus Northwestern, we wound up seeing some very, very sloppy play here, and whenever Northwestern gets into conference play, it doesn't typically yield good results. 94-87 to in double overtime. Maryland gets the job done as Northwestern. Had no idea what they were doing late in this game. Northwestern wins the rebound battle 50-49. to They only wind up forcing Maryland into nine turnovers, but they themselves had just 10. But for Northwestern, aside from Pete Nance, who had 28 points, 14 rebounds, looks like a lot of dudes that had no idea what they were doing. And for Maryland, how about what you were able to get out of Eric Ayala? 26 points, 11 rebounds. Fats Russell, 23, 7, and 5. So, 
Maryland able to get to the window. They get it done outright as an underdog. And if you're taking a look at college basketball right now, what we've been seeing a lot of recently, a lot of overs. How about if we go with the last 30 days here first? 54.2% of games have gone over in the last 30 days. 438 over, 370 unders, and in the time span. Home underdogs have actually been above 500 at 116, 112, and 2 against the spread, but road teams hitting at right around a 51% clip. If you're looking the last 7 days, we have seen a little bit more of a run on road teams. We wound up really seeing it 2 weeks ago. Right now, road teams over the last 7 days, 145, 135, and 3 against the spread, and in this time span, overs hitting at a 56.4% clip, 158 overs to 122 unders and home underdogs 41 and 46 against the spread. I do think that that's going to reverse course a little bit but we've got to be taking a look at the Pac-12 landscape coming up next. Daniel Alvari does a great job with that with the LA CityCast that is part of the VEASAN family of podcasts along with Bette Rivers and she is going to be letting us know about USC, UCLA and the entirety of the conference up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself Craig Pearson, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops and now a part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. And something else that is a part of the VEASAN family of podcasts is the Las Vegas CityCast. And the host of that is Danielle Avari. She does a great job holding it down in the great state of California. Does a great job when it comes to all coverage of UCLA. Obviously does a lot when it comes to being able to hold it down with USC and just the entirety of the Pac-12 as well. So very fitting that we have her on the podcast today as we do have Danielle Alvari joining me and to be able to follow her on Twitter as at her name. Danielle Alvari, last name is spelled A-L-V-A-R-I and Danielle, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much for having me back on. Great to have you aboard and it certainly is great what we've been seeing out of both of the LA schools this year as we know. USC wound up taking the loss a few days ago against Stanford. Now they've got a chance at revenge against Oregon State. And, well, if they wind up losing this one on their home court, it certainly would be a little bit of a calamity. But before we wind up diving into those games, tell the people what's going on with regards to just the fanfare in general, because I know that it sounds like both USC and UCLA are going to have very, very limited fan bases these next few games at the games. It sounds like it's only friends and family. 
Yeah, I actually got the emails on that recently because I'm usually the in-game host for the basketball games as well for UCLA. And so they were just reaching out to let us know we don't need a production crew necessarily. <laughs> we're going to run it the way that they ran it all of the games last year when they had no fans. So that is something to be said too for this is not necessarily going to be new to this team because this is pretty much how they played all of last season. So they're they're actually used to playing without fans in a lot of ways to the point where when I got back into Poly Pavilion for the first time, the students were not even doing the cheers that they normally do. Like normally on each possession, there's like go Bruins or defense going on. And it was pretty quiet in there. And it's like, oh, a lot of these students are freshmen or haven't been to a basketball game because last year there were no fans. So it's actually not a situation that these players are unfamiliar with necessarily. So I don't necessarily expect it to have a huge impact, at least as far as UCLA is concerned. I'm sure it's very similar for USC as well. But it is really sad that fans aren't going to be able to go for the next couple of weeks, I think through the 24th, I believe, is what they said so far. Yeah, Ben, as we know, when it comes to COVID, everything has been changing at just about every single hour in which we wind up doing this, whether it be the NFL changing their protocols. I'm sure that college basketball might be changing some of theirs around a little bit as well. And it always varies from state to state as well. And it is always something that you want to take into account with regards to your handicapping when there are fans versus no fans. So I do think that that is an important tidbit, but taking a look at USC first, and then we'll dive into UCLA a little bit afterwards. You do wind up seeing USC take their first loss of the season a few days ago against Sanford, as I mentioned now. As I also mentioned, if they wind up losing to Oregon State, then you really have some <laughs> issues. But when it comes to USC, I feel very good about this team. I think that they are a team that they should be able to compete for like the Sweet 16 I don't know if I'm in on them necessarily being a top 10 team because I do think that much like what wound up happening a couple of days ago, free throw shooting could be the Achilles heel of this team. I'm not sure where you're at with USC, but I like a lot about this team. They got to be better at the line. I absolutely agree with you. That was the first thing I noticed. Obviously, they've only played 14 games at this point, but 13 and one incredible record. They were undefeated until Stanford took them down. And it's exactly what you said. It was free throw shooting. So when I first looked at this team, just in the first couple of weeks of them playing, the things that stood out to me were the turnovers and the free throws, the free throws egregiously. So like very, very bad. I mean, probably almost bottom in the Pac-12 at least. I'm sure you would know the stat on that. But the turnovers were something that they started to kind of address. There was a game where they reached like a decent high. It was pretty crazy. And then they came back the next game and kind of tampered that down. And so those were the little cracks in the facade of this is a very talented team. They're very capable of like they made last season, Elite Eight. But they have to shore up those details. And those are not things that should be overlooked. They're actually things that you need to put forefront. And so for me, yeah, the free throw shooting has been a struggle for them. And in contrast, UCLA has actually been very solid. So it just goes to show you, like, you have to be well-rounded. You have to be doing everything well. Going into what we wound up seeing Wednesday night, here are the teams that have been shooting worse at the free throw line than USC this year. Sam Houston State, McNeese State, Cal State, Bakersfield, Nichols, and Boise State. That is McNeese, the end of the list. I've never even, I don't even. <laughs> McNeese State, they are out there in the good old Southland. They've got my favorite name in all of college basketball, Brendan Medley Bacon, the good old Medley of Bacon. So we do oh, enjoy yeah. <laughs> We do enjoy being able to watch them out there in the Southland. And- I just realized, though, did you know, I think it's one of the Missouri schools, maybe? They have a player named Isaiah Mosley, which is so oh, yeah. to Isaiah Mobley. I saw it when I was looking at Ken Palm earlier, and I was like, I'm sure that Greg Peterson knows this player. Oh, yeah, he's actually a really good player. He gave Prim, Jalen Minnett. That trio is one of the best in all of college basketball. And it's still a shame that Longwood does not have Shabuti Phillips anymore. That was just always a classic. Shabuti <laughs> Phillips on Longwood. But I Isaiah Mobley, not to be confused. There are always some guys that you do wind up getting confused. Like, there have been a few guys, like, 
with the name Jalen where it's like, Oh, yeah. I thought that he was on the other team. So I mean, that is one of those things in which you can get very easily tripped up as you got, as we've got Daniel Avari joining me on the podcast. Does a great job with the Los Angeles City cast with Visa and the family, a podcast over here. And when it comes to UCLA, they certainly were coming off of a long layoff. They wound up getting a very strange game against Long Beach State, which was the second time of like three bouts that those two teams played against each other. And they got the win, but no cover against Cal couple days ago but I will say they looked relatively solid in that game now they're going to be facing off against Oregon and what I'm seeing right now is the opener on this game is hovering right around 10 10 and a half ish points depending on where you look and (laughs) with me I always have to give Oregon some credit because I think that they're well coached but my goodness it has been a really bad year for Oregon and for UCLA it's just been really impressive to see how efficient this offense has been. Not sure where you stand on this one, but I do think that Oregon is certainly going to be up against it against the UCLA team that has been able to really find some unlikely forms of offense this year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really interested in this total for this game as well because I'm seeing it sit at like 142 right now. And when UCLA is on their game, then they tend to play defense very well. They're 17th in adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Oregon on the other side, the only thing they really have going for them is their offense. They're 31st in adjusted offensive efficiency. They haven't beat any good teams yet, though, is my big concern with Oregon right now. But that said, if you look closer, they lost to ASU and Stanford. But those are very close games, only a couple points. And ASU and Stanford, I would say, one of the better teams. It's hard to say in the Pac-12 right now, right? Because eight of the 12 teams have nine wins or more, and seven of them are within three games of each other. So just the whole top, really, there's only four not-so-good teams in the Pac-12 right now. But that said, I think that Oregon is going to be able to keep up with UCLA on the offensive side of things. I don't. I hope that UCLA's defense gives them trouble, but I do think that that's where Oregon's going to be able to shine a little bit. It is going to be interesting to see if we see something like a higher-scoring game similar to what we saw when UCLA played Long Beach State. Those are really the only two times that UCLA games kind of got really out of hand in terms of the total. But I do think that this 10 and a half, I don't want to lay 10 points with UCLA. They're not been stellar against the spread. And a lot of it is because they've had these really large spreads. And so if anything, I would like to take Oregon plus 10 and a half. But I do think that UCLA is more than capable to cover minus 10 and a half, especially with the way that Oregon hasn't really played anybody in a real true competition yet. So maybe we'll see an over hit for, for a rare over for UCLA game. And UCLA has been really speeding up this season. They were in the bottom 100 with regards to possessions per game last season. This year, they're more in the top half of college basketball. So mm-hmm. I do think that that's going to be intriguing. And when it comes to Pac-12, I think that two of the teams that we want to on, they're towards the top of the Pac-12. And then the other team, that I think is really jockeying for position. That'd be Arizona, and they're also going to be in action on Thursdays. We do have Daniel Avari joining me on the podcast as they're finding themselves right around a 15-point favorite, much like USC is, against Oregon State as they take on Colorado. And when it comes to Arizona, I personally have them number one with regards to the conference. I think that it's very close between they and UCLA, and I think that UCLA is a little bit of a leg up on USC as well. That's sort of how I rank my top three. Not sure if you've got anything different there, but I have been very impressed by this Arizona team, and I do think that the line of 15 year, it is relatively right. I do think that there's always some trepidation in laying 15 points with just about any school, but I do think that this is an Arizona school that should be able to win this game comfortably and be able to maintain one of the top spots out there in the Pac-12. Well, absolutely. And you can tell that Arizona fans are very upset that they didn't get to play UCLA yet. And I understand why, because those are the two top teams for me in the Pac-12 right now. I do give UCLA a slight edge, not to be fair. I obviously see them play more often necessarily um, in person, that kind of thing. But I do give UCLA a slight edge over Arizona right now. And USC is firmly 
in that third spot for me. I'm really excited to see USC play Arizona, actually, of all things. But I know that everybody's very excited for all three of these teams to match up against each other. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that it is going to be really intriguing when these big bomber schools go up against each other because I think coming into the year, you and I both thought that the Pac-12 might be a little bit more rounded because we've seen yeah. in the past years, the Pac-12 has typically been two or three top flight teams and then it's everyone else. It's not necessarily the three teams that we were expecting now, USC, UCLA being in the top four is something that we expected. I thought that Arizona could be a top four school as well, but I didn't think the divide between these top three schools and everyone else was going to be so stark because you've got three three schools and then I'm not sure who you'd put at number four. I mean, <laughs> right now, Stanford might be actually making a halfway decent case for number four, but I mean, it's really these three schools and then everyone else has been really fighting for trying to perhaps <laughs> being able to get into the NIT at this point. Yeah, basically. I mean, Colorado's actually been on a little bit of a tear, it seems like. But yeah, it's it's tough to say who would be a fourth spot in this. But for me, Pac-12 is so frustrating, especially, I mean, I was going to say especially in basketball, but football was like this as well. Is this is If you look at all these teams' records right now, it's like 12 wins, 9 wins, 9 wins, 9 wins. But now they're playing conference play, and they're all good teams in the Pac-12 here, at least at least top eight teams here. And so they're going to be taking each other down, just like we just saw Stanford take USC down. And I was on that game, so that was unfortunate. <laughs> I was on USC in that game. But yeah, we, so we saw Stanford beat an undefeated USC team, and then Cal beats ASU. And then we haven't seen ASU in action since that game. So it's very hard to handicap, too, when they take these pauses as well with these games. Yeah, it certainly does make things very, very difficult from that aspect. And now you've got teams that have played a little bit of an uneven amount of games. And when it comes to the Pac-12, I just discussed it, the fact that you've really got a very good one through three, and then there's everyone else. Is there a team or two that you think might be able to emerge a little bit more in this conference? Because I take a look at the Sanford versus Washington State game, and I think that this really could be a battle for number four. Right now, Washington State, a six and a half point favorite, but I was expecting more out of Washington State this year. I thought that Nerdball was really going to be taking hold in Pullman. And with Sanford, they're coming off of that nice win against USC when they were playing out there in the Diamond at Classic. They were hitting everything in that game against Liberty. They got a quality win against Wyoming. They shouldn't have gotten the cover against Texas, but they were able to get the cover against Texas as well. And I think Stanford is actually starting to show a little bit of fight. Yeah, I completely agree with you, actually. Stanford is kind of making its way towards the top. I don't think that they can out-personnel those top three teams, unfortunately. And I don't think that any of these teams necessarily have like very veteran leadership, which is weird to say because obviously UCLA made it to the Final Four, USC made it to the Elite Eight. and But those were young guys. And if you look at the average age of these teams, they're still not that high. And so just really young, really talented is how I would describe a lot of these teams at the top here. And Stanford, young, talented, but just not, I don't think, talent-wise able to compete with these top three teams. But definitely like still in the mix and going to cause problems for these top three teams, as we saw versus USC. I do agree with you there. And I think something else that we could both be in agreement with is that the VEASAN family podcast is absolutely tremendous. And Danielle, you do a great job of being able to contribute to it with the Los Angeles City Cats. So let the good people at home know how they're able to get your podcast, everything that you've got coming up on it, and how people can follow along with you personally on social media and other platforms. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, even if you can believe it, <laughs> at Danielle Alvari. And then I'm also the host of the Los Angeles CityCast, which is sponsored by Bet Rivers. And that airs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And Danielle doing an absolutely terrific job with that. And I can tell you right now, you've also got some NFL action when it comes to Los Angeles, as well as the Rams 
They're going to be in a very big postseason game against the Arizona Cardinals as well. I know that she's going to be taking a look at that. Does a great job taking a look at both USC, UCLA, and the Pac-12 in general as well, and did a great job on the podcast today. So big thanks to Danielle Ovari for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Vison Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Eats with myself, Greg Eats here. And now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Great to go out to the wonderful city of Los Angeles to be joined by Daniel Avari of the Bet Rivers City Cast for Los Angeles. Does a terrific job over there. Does a great job covering a little bit of everything. So now it is that time of the podcast coming up next. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRNSquirty1. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation R. This is where we go with the games with three digits first, and then the games with six digits are at the bottom, and the games with six digits, these are from conferences that are quite a bit smaller. Mostly the Patriot League, but I think that there's an Atlantic Sun and a Big South game thrown in there as well. And the reason why I go in Las Vegas rotation R is because this is how you actually wind up placing a bet in Las Vegas rather than saying, Oh, I would like to lay the points with Mercer. You would instead say, I would like to lay the points with number 774, which is the rotation number of them. And most books and most websites themselves actually do go in this order as well. So let's get started with the first game on the board of 761-762. DePaul is going to be playing us. This Seton Hall, the Pirates find themselves between five and six point favorites in your Toronto game. 
finding it anywhere between a 144 and a half and a 147. Now, we have seen quite a fall-off with our good friend Zapal recently, but I'm willing to back them here. I wound up saying them as a four-point underdog when it comes to Seton Hall. This is a team that they've got back all their guys that were in health and safety protocols due to COVID-19. You've got Aiko Biagu, who's been able to do a superb job down low. He's able to give you actually more blocks than either points or rebounds per game as he's got 2.9 blocks and 2.8 points per game. So I find that to be very hilarious. Now, this is a Seton Hall team that they only shoot as a collective about 32% from three-point range. I do like the shiftiness of Kadari Richmond. 8.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists per game. Alexis Yetna is expected to be back in the fold for this team as well. Had been dealing with a little bit of ailment. Right around 10.7 rebounds. Guy that only shoots about 25% from three. And Jared Roden and Bryce Aiken, they combined to shoot about 31% from distance. But this duo shoots right around 84% the free throw line. They've been able to pump in there a little bit over 29 points per game. Right around three steals per game between the two and Roden. Right around seven boards per game. But when it comes to DePaul, you've got Javon Freeman Liberty. One of the better scorers out there in all of college basketball. A guy that's able to give you 21.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.7 steals on 40% three-point shooting. David Jones down low, 15 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. Brandon Johnson's able to give you 7.5 boards. He's someone that pumps in their 11 points per game. Now, Nick Ogenda has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. That's a little bit tough for this team, but... You've been able to get a little bit more out of Jalen Terry as well. He's been able to dole out three assists, so I like the way that he's stepping up in the backcourt. I do think that Seton Hall wins this game outright, but I think that's going to be a relatively tight one. We have seen DePaul get throttled down a little bit with their offense. They were able to score quite a bit against Marquette, but against teams like Villanova, Providence, Butler, what have you, they have been a team that has been playing a little bit slower, so I did wind up saying the sold out 143, bowling to dive under, and with Seton Hall going to make them a four-point favorite, so taking the points here with DePaul, 763, 764 on the betting board, Washington State. Going to be playing us at Stanford. Stanford is finding themselves as a 6-6.5 point underdog in your total on this game. You're going to be finding it anywhere between a 136 and a half and a 139. So you got a range here. I'm seeing mostly 138 to 138 and a half, and set my total at 137 and a half. So I'm going to be taking a look at most likely a 138 and a half or north of that under because when it comes to Sanford, this has been a team that has been playing relatively slow. Washington State has been throttling down a little bit as well. For Sanford, they've really been heating up from three-point range. I'm shooting about 35% from three-point range for the season and in their last two games, they have shot well over 40% from distance. I do think that there's going to be a tad bit of cooling and when it comes to Harrison Ingram, I think that he's probably going to be the most talented player out there on the floor. 12.8 points, a little bit over seven rebounds, three assists, shooting 34% from three-point range, but I do like this core of Washington State. It is not easy to go to Pullman and win as well. Then you've got Noah Williams along with Michael Flowers. These two guys have been able to combine for 26 points per game. Flowers giving you 38% from three-point range, 86.5% free throw line. These two guys combine for a little bit over 5.6 assists per game as well. TJ Bamba has been a solid three-point shooter right around 37%. And Tyrell Ghost Roberts shoots 94% free throw line for a bunch of They shoot 75% of the line, 34.5% from three. This is not a Washington State team that necessarily generates a lot of turnovers, but you take a look at Sanford and they've had a little bit of an issue taking care of the ball. Right around 15 turnovers per game. They shoot 65% of the free throw line. Now Brandon Angel has been able to step up for the team. 7.5 points per game. Has been able to shoot 43% from three. Seven plus points at each of the team's last six games. So he certainly has been able to do a nice job there. And you've noticed Noah Tatis has been getting a little bit more run as well. A guy that shoots 47% from three. He played a big role in that game against USC. Being able to chip in there. Three assists. But I do take a look at this Washington State team. I do think that Mohamed Gay and Effie 
Obiji, who give you a combined 10 rebounds per game, are going to be able to win the battle down low. I do think that Washington State doing a good job of holding onto the ball, and Sanford's turnover woes are going to come through in this game. Like I said, set this on 137.5, so taking a look at more like a 138.5-ish under, and when it comes to Washington State, we'll only lay up to 8 with them, so we'll only lay the 6 to 6 half here. 765, 766 on the betting board. Appalachian State is going to be playing on the Coast Carolina. The Chanticleers are finding themselves between a 2.5 and a 3-point underdog in your Tarlons game. is 131. I am just not impressed with Appalachian State whatsoever. I'm going to be taking a look at Coastal Carolina on the money line as I wound up setting them as a 1.5 point favorite. When it comes to Coastal Carolina, they've been a team that hasn't necessarily been playing overly fast this year, but I do think that they're going to be able to dominate down low with Isam Mustafa, who's been able to give you 16 points, 9.8 rebounds per game. Abrima Diba has been able to do a nice job dishing out 6.5 assists or right around 2.5 turnovers per game. Not necessarily a great 3-point shooter, but that's why you've got Rudy along with Vince Cole. Rudy Williams and Vince Cole are combining for 27 points per game. They chip in there right around 7 boards per game, and you've got Rudy Williams shooting 44% from 3. Vince Cole more like 37% from the outside. Now, Coastal Carolina, they shoot 67.5% in the free throw line, but you take a look at this Appalachian State team, and this is a bunch that they shoot 64.8% of the line, 30.5% from three-point range. They do have Justin Forrest back in the fold after he wanted missing a little bit of time, but he just hasn't been good. In his two games since returning, he's got to combine five points and four turnovers in those games, so he has been very much less than effective. They wound up scoring 53 points in that game against Troy with him out there on the court. It's really been all about Adrian Delph at this point. 16 points, 5 rebounds. Guy that's able to shoot 40% from 3. You need just a little bit more around him, though. This team has not been able to get a lot down low aside from Donovan Gregory. And it is 9.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. This is an Appalachian State team that they do rank in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game. Coastal Carolina has not necessarily been a blazer either, but they are quite efficient with regards to their offense. Coastal Carolina right around 12.5 turnovers per game, so they're doing a good job of being able to hold it down there. And then you have been able to get quite a bit off the bench as well with guys that have been able to give you some rebounds. Someone like a Jarek Green has been able to give you 7.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Wilfred likely has been able to give you right around 4 boards. Both of these guys shoot in the mid-30s from 3-point range. I think the Coast Carolina going to be able to take it to Appalachian State. And I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game falling. I think that's going to be a tight one. So maybe this total 133. Going to be taking a look at the over. And with Coastal Carolina, I like them outright. Going to be taking them on the money line. 767, 768 on the bang board. Old Dominion is going to be playing us at UT San Antonio. Meet me. The Roadrunners are between an 11.5 and a 12-point underdog in your total on this game. It is between 137.5 and 138. Not sure why this total is set so high. Old Dominion ranks in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, and they're not necessarily great on offense, but they're very good on defense. So this makes no sense to me whatsoever. Set this total at 127. You do have KJ Kaiser in the backcourt for Old Dominion, and he's been able to deliver. Shooting 37.5% for 3, 83% the free throw line with 14 points and 2 assists per game. For an Old Dominion team that they shoot 30% from 3, 69% the free throw line, they do a good job of not turning the ball over. And I will say, the 4.2 blocks per game is actually relatively solid. Austin Trice winds coming in from Kansas State, 9.5 points, 5.6 boards per game. He's been able to do a nice job down low. And then you take a look at UT San Antonio. And should they be a favorite? Yes, because you do have duo Diang. He's been able to give the team a little bit over 15 points per game. A guy that chips in their 5.5 boards per game, but... This is a UT San Antonio team that they shoot 29% from 3, 78% at the free throw line, 13 turnovers per game. They rank outside the top 175 with regards to possessions per game as well. Now, I will say Jacob Germany has been able to do a solid job down low for this team along with Cedric Alley Jr. These two guys 
been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 13 rebounds per game. Jacob Germany's been able to give you 14 points per game. Tries to show a little bit of versatility. Not a guy that's necessarily going to shoot lights out from three-point range or anything like that. But then on the flip side, you do have Mr. Kalu Ezekpe. So maybe we'll give you seven rebounds per game. But I do think that UT San Antonio is going to be able to do a relatively okay job in that matchup. I do think that Jordan Ivy Curry is going to be able to keep this team alive. Shoots 39% from three-point range. It's given the team at least 16 points in four out of the last five games. A little bit over a steal per game. So I do think that this is going to be a spot in which Old Dominion is going to be able to win the game. But double digits, just way too much in this spot. I wound up saying this line more around seven. So we're going to be taking a look at double digits here. When it comes to UT San Antonio, you do have yourself a UT San Antonio team that has been playing much slower than in past years as well. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under. Set my total at 127. As we move on to 769, 770 on the betting board, the Citadel. Going to be playing us UNC Greensboro. Greensboro is a two and a half point favorite, and your total on this game is 132.5 to 133.5. I have no idea why UNC Greensboro is a favorite here. I am just not in on this team. You take a look at them, and they're committing right around 15 turnovers per game. They don't shoot it well from three point range, they don't generate a lot of steals. They really don't do a whole heck of a lot of anything well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Citadel, and they're going to have, in my opinion, the best player out there on the floor, and Hayden Brown. He's been able to give this team a little bit over 18 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. Now, I will say the Citadel did get overrated after that win over Pittsburgh, but now I feel like people are a little bit too far down on this team. You do have a Rudy Fitzgibbons, who's been able to do a relatively solid job the last two games, being able to combine for 28 points, 6 assists in those contests, shooting 40% from 3-point range. You've also been able to get right around 43.5% 3-point shooting out of Jason Roach and more around 41.5% out of Stephen Clark. These two guys combined to be able to give you 24.5 points, 9.5 rebounds per game, and with Clark, a little bit over 3 assists per game. Then you take a look at UNC Greensboro instead of Demonte Buckingham show. He's been able to give the team 13 points, 7.5 rebounds, steal per game, shoots 42% from 3, but Greensboro, they shoot 33% from 3. They shoot right around 72% the free line, but once again, the 15 turnovers per game, you don't have anyone outside of Buckingham who's able to give you at least 9 points per game. Bez Lighty is able to give you right around 8.9 points per contest. He's able to haul in there right around 5.5 rebounds. Mohamed Abdul-Salam, who last year was very solid for this team, giving them right around 7 rebounds per game. That's down to more around 4.5 this season. He's been falling out of favor when it comes to rotations with this team. UNC Greensboro does not create a lot of turnovers in the Citadel. I do think that they're going to be able to pump up the tempo. I think that Greensboro is going to be thrown all out of sorts in this game. I think that the Citadel gets their tempo, and I think that they're able to win the game as a result. So the Citadel is a 3.5 point home favorite. I'm going to be taking them on the money line. When it comes to Citadel, Citadel at a 143.5. UNC Greensboro, a bottom 25 team in all of college basketball when it comes to tempo. You've got a Citadel team that's in the top 25. Typically, it's a little bit easier to slow down a fast team, but the Citadel, they're a little bit of an exception to the rule. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over and the money line of the Citadel. 771-772 on the betting board. You've got Southern Miss. And they hit the road to face off against Louisiana Tech. LA Tech is finding themselves in 18.5 to a 19.5 point favorite. And your draw this game is saying we're between 137.5 and 138.5. I by no means think that Southern Miss is any good whatsoever. 18 and a half to 19.5 is a little bit too many in this spot because with Southern Miss, at the very least, you're able to do an okay job down low. Isaiah Moore along with Tyler Stevenson both combined for 24.3 points. They're able to give you a combined 15.3 rebounds right in the neighborhood of about two blocks per game. So these guys have been relatively solid. Now, you've got absolutely nothing out there on the outside as you've been able to get right around eight points per game out of Rashad Bolden. Bolden has been able to shoot 54% from three-point range of double figures in three of the team's last four games. 
game. So he's been able to help out there. Tay Hardy has been out of the fold, so that has hurt this team. But you've also got Mr. Waylon Napper, who's been able to get the team right around six points per contest. So a nice job of being able to chip in there. A little bit of something on the defensive end, right around a seal per game, 4.2 assists at 2.2 turnovers per game. Now when it comes to Southern Miss, 15 turnovers per game. They shoot 65% at the free throw line. But then you take a look at Louisiana Tech, and this has been a team that has been playing much more up-tempo this season, but defense along with that has lacked a tad. You've been without Isaiah Crawford for darn near the entirety of the season. Now, Kobe Williams and Keeson Willis are able to combine for 20 and a half points, right around 7 rebounds per game. You do get 3.5 assists per game out of Williams and Willis shoots right around 35% from 3-point range overall. This team shoots a little bit over 33% from distance and big sexy Kenny Lofton. I call him big sexy because he looks like Bartolo Colon, 16 and a half points, 11 boards and a block per game. So, he certainly has been able to do a nice job there, but I do question Louisiana Tech and the fact that they don't necessarily have a lot of three-point shooting. They've been lacking a little bit more on the defensive side of things. Should Louisiana Tech be able to win this game comfortably? Absolutely. Are they playing much better on offense? Yes, but Southern Miss, they do a good job of actually being able to slow their games down. They've been doing a tad bit better on the defensive end as well, so I did wind up saying this at 135. I'm willing to take an under with Louisiana Tech. Go ahead and make them a 17-point favorite, so here at North of 18, I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 773, 774 on the betting board. VMI is the road face off against Mercer. Mercer is between a 1 to 1.5 point favorite, seeing them as a pick in a spot as well. Totals anywhere between 147.5 and 148 when it comes to Mercer. Made them a 5 point favorite. Mercer has really been trying to play a little bit more defense oriented here recently in VMI. This is a team that they rank right around like 175 with regards to possessions per game. They've just been really efficient. Shooting 80.5% free throw line, 36% from 3 point range. Jake Stevens and Kevin and Kerfman are combined to be able to shoot right around 39.5% from distance with Kerfman 17.5 points, 3 assists per game, and then Stevens. God stands right around 6 foot 10. 18 points, 8.5 rebounds, a little bit over 3 assists, 2.5 blocks per game. He has been absolutely terrific. This is a team that they've been dealing with some injuries. Cooper Sisko, he wound up just returning to the team in their game against UNC Greensboro. We will see if he's going to be able to give the team anything whatsoever moving forward. You've been able to get right around 8.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game out of Trey Bonham. Bonham has been able to shoot 36% from 3-point range, but very hit or miss in the team's last 5 games. 4, 11, 16, 10, and 0 points. So, you don't know what you're going to be able to get there. Meanwhile, for Mercer, you do have Felipe Haas, who winds up coming in from South Carolina. He's been able to give the team 15 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.7 seals, shooting 48% for 3 assists, 6.9 combo player. Neftali Alvarez has been on the full recently for the team, but they haven't really needed him because you do have good facilitation out of Haas for one, and you've also got a few players out there in the backcourt, like Kamar Robertson, who's able to help out. Robertson has been able to give the team 11 plus points in 4 out of the 5 games in which he has been missing, so this has been very beneficial to the team. Now, he only shoots about 24% from 3 this season, but last year made more around 39% of his 3, so I do think that we're going to see a little bit of an uptick there. Mercer, overall, they shoot 35% from 3, 75.5% free throw line, 4, 7.5 seals per game, and I like what you've been able to get out of the Tennessee and Wake Forest transfer, Jalen Johnson, 14 points, 5 rebounds, shooting 41% from 3 as a 6'6", combo player and has been able to give the team at least 11 points in each of the team's last five games. He's been doling out some assists recently as well. Right around two and a half assists in the last five games. So he's been able to come through with that regard. And I do think that Mercer is going to be able to do a solid job against the VMI team that has been able to hit their threes all season long. But I do think that the Mercer three-point shooting defense is going to be good in this one. Set this one up 138 and a half. Diving under. And with Mercer, willing to lay up to five with them. So laying the points. 775, 776 on the banking board. North Texas hits the road face off against Marshall. Thundering Herd are between a 5 and 5.5 five and point underdog in your turn on this game. Getting anywhere between a 136.5 and a 137. And I made my line three here. 
got a really intriguing game because you've got a top 10 team in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game and a bottom 10 team. I settled on a total of 136. So I can tell that bookmakers are sort of taking that middle approach like me. At 137, I'm willing to take an under, but once again, I'm at 136, so I don't see a whole heck of a lot of difference here when it comes to Tavion Kinsey. He's been able to do a solid job here with Marshall. 19 points, 5.5 rebounds. Now he and the rest of Marshall have not been able to shoot it from 3. Kinsey, 16% from 3. Marshall, overall 28% from 3-point range, but you've got my man in Obiana Onchilia Killian, who's been able to give the team 4.1 blocks per game down low, 14.7 rebounds, and he buries 42% of his threes. Really, the only consistent three-point shooter for this team, aside from Goran Miladevic, who's been able to give the team just four points per game, has been a little bit banged up recently, so certainly has been an interesting situation there, but Andrew Taylor is a seven-sheet sufferer. 12.5 points, six rebounds, five assists, 2.3 seals per game, so that's been rock solid. And then you take a look at the flip side for North Texas, and you've been able to get a lot out of Tyler Perry. He typically is a sixth man for this team, generating right around 15 points per game. She's 93% the free throw line, 45.5% from three-point range. Mardez McBride has been able to give the team right around 10 points, three and a half rebounds, two assists, a guy that shoots right around 36% from three-point range, so has been able to do a relatively solid job there, but I do have my question marks when it comes to what you're going to be able to get down low out of this team. You've been able to get right around 11.5 points, six and a half rebounds out of Thomas Bell, but this is not a team that's necessarily going to block a lot of shots. I do think that Obiana, Ochili, and Killian is going to be able to do a good job down low. That'll keep Marshall right in this game. I think that it's going to be very slowed down. You've got a North Texas team that they only shoot about 70% of the free throw line, so it's not like they're necessarily a blazer there either. So I do think that Marshall is going to be able to hold up on their home floor, set this line at three. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Marshall. Set this total at 136 as well. So diving under 777, 778 on the betting board. You've got Oakland, and they hit the road to face off against Cleveland State. The Vikings are between a one and two point favorite, and your turn on this game is anywhere team 147 and 148.5 got an interesting battle here as you've got an Oakland team that you've got Jamal Kane and Jamal Kane is very able to carry this team. How about a little bit over 10 rebounds per game, 21 points per contest and he is supported by Jalen Moore who's been able to give you more. Now, he gives you more turnovers with 4.6 per contest. That's not necessarily too terrific but a guy that's able to give the team 8.3 assists per game with regards to assists per game has been one of the best players in all of college basketball. I believe led all of college basketball last season and this season he's been able to pick up a right where he left off. So he has been able to no doubt do a terrific job. And then you've got Trey Towson on that Oakland sideline as well. He's been able to do a terrific job being able to give this team 15 points, six rebounds, but Oakland does only shoot 29% from three-point range. They generate eight and a half seals per game though. And Cleveland State, they've been able to generate quite a few turnovers as well. This is a team that they get right around eight and a half seals per game. You've got a guy in Des Moines Hodge who's really come into his own a little bit over 15 points per game. You take a look at what he's been able to do recently and he's been able to give the team double figures in now five out of the last six games, and the Seals have really been there as well. Two plus Seals and now six out of the team's last seven games, so that has been absolutely superb for this team. You take a look at Bronk Vincent. He's been able to shoot 37% for three-point range. Trey Gomillion, right around 40% for three. These two guys combined for 17 points per game, and then Torrey Penn just does a good job of being able to stuff the sad sheet. Right around 13 points, six half rebounds, 3.7 assists, 1.6 seals per game. Only shoots 25% from three. Cleveland State, they shoot 67% the free line, 32% from three-point range, but I do think that the home court advantage is going to be big, and when it comes to Dennis Gates, I think that he's one of the best coaches in all of college basketball. Now, you do have a guy 
on the Oakland sideline and Greg Campy that's also very solid in his own right. But I do think that Cleveland State has what it takes to be able to get the job done. I think that their defense is going to be able to hold up in this game. And I think that home court is going to prove to be quite big. So I did wind up saying Cleveland State as a two and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be centered around quite a bit of defense. I did wind up saying the total at a 146. So you do have an Oakland team that has been able to go off quite a bit recently. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up in this game. So taking a look at the under and one late here with the Vikings. We move on to 779, 780 on the betting board. You've got UTEP and the Miners. Hope to come up major against Charlotte. Charlotte between a three and three and a half point favorite in your total on this game. And between 137 and 137 for Charlotte, it has been a while since we have seen this team as they're coming off of quite a lengthy pause, but I did wind up saying them as a five point favorite when it comes to Charlotte. I think that they're going to be a little bit more immune to a pause than other teams because they do rank right around 290th in the country with regards to possessions per game, so they're not really looking to play too up-tempo, and I do like what you're able to get out of Jameer Young. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists per game, shooting 38% from 3. All in all, Charlotte shoots 36.4% from 3, 77% the free throw line. Defense has honestly been lacking a little bit, and they are going to need to get a little bit more out of Robert Braswell. The transfer from Syracuse has been able to get the team 9.5 points. She's 47.5% from 3, but 1.6 rebounds per game for a guy that stands right around 6 foot 7 inch. Austin Butler, Clyde Trapp, they make up for this with right around 13 boards, 23.5 points per game, and this is a Charlotte team that they don't necessarily create a lot of seals. UTEP under Joe Golding, they are looking to generate turnovers a little bit over eight steals per game for this team. Sally Ballman has been able to give you 18 points per game, shooting 35% for three. All in all, UTEP shoots 76.6% the line, 34.8% from three-point range. They only turn the ball for 12 and a half times per game, and they have been able to force more steals as well, but the backcourt does have a couple of question marks. Christian, don't call me Spiro Agnew has only played in two minutes really in the last few games for this team, so he might be out of the fold once again. You've been able to get some good production recently out of Jarrell Satterfield, someone who's been able to get the team double figures in now four out of the last five games, shooting 47% from three-point range, but I do think that defenses are going to start to figure him out as well. And then you've got the Georgetown transfer in Jamari Sibley, who has really not been able to burst onto the scene. He's been very inconsistent. Last five games for the team, he has scored 11-0-4-6 and one point, so I do my question marks there. And when it comes to the Charlotte team, I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job on the glass. I think that Young is going to be able to take over this game. And Charlotte, a team that plays very defense-oriented, I think that they're going to do a good job of being able to hold it down in this one. Set this all at 133.5, willing to dive under. And with Charlotte, willing to lay up to five with them. So, going to be taking a look at laying the points. 781, 782 on the betting board. Wisconsin is going to be playing us to Ohio State. The Ohio State University between a 2.5 and a 3-point underdog in your tallest game between 138.5 and 140. This is a rematch of a game that we saw earlier this season in that game. Wisconsin just was unable to get going in that game. They wound up taking the loss, and it wound up being a relatively easy under, and I do think we're going to get another under in this game. Set this total at 132.5 last time around in the great state of Ohio, 73-55. to Ohio State got the win as Wisconsin in that game. Went 6-26 from three-point range. Johnny Davis had 24 points, seven rebounds, three assists, three steals. He did wind up having four fouls in the game, but I mean, past that, he did everything for this team. I expect other guys to be able to step up in this game. Tyler Wall had just three points in that contest, and he's actually been relatively solid for the Badgers. 10.2 points, a little bit over five rebounds per game. Brad Davidson was able to chip in there with 13 points, but Chris Vogt has been able to give this team a couple rebounds. You do have to believe that you're going to be able to get a little bit more out of a guy that has emerged in Stephen Crowell as well. Crowell has been on the prowl, being able to give the team nine plus points in three of the team's last four games. He's been able to haul in there a couple rebounds as well. He's given the team a combined 22 rebounds in the last four contests as well. Then you take a look at Iowa State. 
This is a team that's still a little bit banged up. They've been dealing with injuries to Justice Suing all season long. Now, I actually like what you're able to get out of Michi Johnson Jr. Right around 6.5 points per game. A guy that has been able to give the team 6+. plus in now each of the team's last four games. Shooting 40% from three-point range. EJ Liddell playing like an All-American contender. 20 points, 7 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 3 blocks. Shooting 37% from three-point range. And the guy that has really stepped up is Malachi Branham. How about this guy with 10.5 points per game for the season? But you take a look at what he's done in the last three games. He's averaging 24 points per game in games against Nebraska, Indiana, and Northwestern, so he has stepped up in a big way for this team. He's been averaging three assists and right around five boards per game in that stretch as well, so the freshman has been able to do some nice things, but I do think that Wisconsin is going to be able to keep Ohio State at bay. Wisconsin in the top five in all of college basketball when it comes to turnovers on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, Ohio State, they've been turning the ball over right around 13 times per game. Zed Key is able to give you right around six boards per game, and I do like Kyle Young. He's been a little bit banged up, but he seems to be getting back to his normal self did wind up having 14 rebounds last time the team wanted playing against Wisconsin has had just a combined nine points in the last two games but I think that he's going to be able to be out there a guy that shoots right in the neighborhood of about 42 percent for free should be able to give the team a little bit of an outside presence but neither of these teams play necessarily fast I think that you're going to get a little bit more of a control game set this total at a 132 and a half diving under and with Wisconsin one way up to three and a half in this spot I do think that they wind up getting their revenge so take a look at the under and we're taking a look at lane between two and a half and three here with Wisconsin 783, 784 on the betting board. Youngstown State is going to be playing us in Northern Kentucky. The Norse find themselves between three and three and a half point favorites. And your total on this game going to be getting it anywhere between 138 and 139. And when it comes to Youngstown State, what I'm saying them as a five point favorite. I like the way that this team has been able to excel on defense. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Norse. And this is a team that they're not necessarily looking to play overly up tempo either. But with this punch, it is going to be really intriguing to see what you wind up getting out of the backcourt because it has been very sketchy all season long. Trayvon Faulkner has been able to give you a little bit over 13 points per game. Three-point shooting has been all over the place with them, but all in all, 36%. And then you've got Marquise Warwick, who wound up getting off to a cataclysmically bad start to the year. He's now been able to give the team 13 points per game, has been able to pump in their 12-plus in four of the last five, so he's starting to get online. But when it comes to Northern Kentucky, this is a bunch that they really pride themselves on generating steals, 10 per contest. They shoot only about 67% at the free line, which is an issue. And then you've got a Youngstown State team that has done a great job of being able to take care of the ball. Right around 12 and a half turnovers per game, they shoot 33% for three, 74.7% the free throw line. And Shamir Rathan Mays has been able to be the outside presence for this team, shooting 46% for three-point range, 8.3 points per game. And then you've got Tevin Olison who's been able to chip in there right around 12.5 points per game. Has been big with Garrett Covington being out of the fold really since game three of the season. And then Michael Okuchi, about 13.75 rebounds, a guy that is able to give the team a little bit of versatility as well. Even some of these other guys that wind up coming in off the bench, like for instance, a Miles Hunter has been able to come up big for this team. He's been able to get the team at least four points in each out of the last five games. Has been playing a bigger and bigger role for this team. And then for Northern Kentucky, you do have Adrian Nelson. Delno should be the best old post player in this game. In half rebounds per game. But for Northern Kentucky, I don't think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to guard from the outside. You've been able to have a gentleman wind up stepping up in Sam Vincent. Ten points, four rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting 39.5% from three-point range. But he does seem to have his suspectness to him. Ten turnovers in the last four games. So I'm willing to lay up to five here with Youngstown State. I think that they're going to be able to keep control of this game. Youngstown State in the bottom 75 of the guards' possessions per game. I think that they slow it down. Set this all at 133. So diving under as well. Got a postponed game here between Georgia Southern and Troy. 785-786. We've got nobody to be made here. So we move on to 787-788 on the betting board. Butler is going to be hitting the road and they're going to be facing off against Georgetown. The Hoyas find themselves in between a 1.5 and a 2.5 
point favorite in your total on this game is anywhere between 137.5 and 138. And when it comes to Butler, it's not a team that I've necessarily been too bullish on, but this is a Georgetown team that is really, really bad. I set Butler as the favorite in this game by a point and a half. I do think that Bryce Enzi coming back in the fold for Butler is very big. I recognize that it is a true road game, but my, oh my. You got a Georgetown team that they do have Amino Mohammed, who's been able to do a solid job. 14 and a half points per game. Guy with size that gives you eight and a half boards, shoots 36% per three, and Georgetown shoots 38% per three, 72% the free line. They turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game. When it comes to defensive efficiency among power conference teams, they are right towards the bottom in darn near every category in all of college basketball. Now, Caden Rice, the transfer from the Citadel, has been huge for this team. 13 and a half points per game. Guy that's bearing 41-ish percent of his threes, but he's very hit or miss. You take a look at the last five games. He has scored 0, 34, 15, 14, and 6 points. So, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him from night to night. Ryan Matumbo is very raw. 5 points, 3 and a half rebounds, but gets into quite a bit of foul trouble. And then you take a look at the flip side for Butler. And this is a team that they actually do the little things quite solidly. Bryce Golden has been able to give you 10.5 points per game, four boards. And when it comes to this Butler team, you'd have four different guys giving you between 9.2 and 10.4 points per game. Chuck Harris, right around 10.5 points per game, shooting just 32% from three point range. But Jair Bolden makes about 36% of his threes, 88% of the free line. Butler has a collective 69.8% of the line, 32.7% from three. But I do think that they are expected to have Ty Gross most likely back in the fold for this team. This is a guy that wanted missing the last few games, including that Xavier game. A guy that while he was at Eastern Michigan was able to generate right around a seal and a half per contest. A guy that was never necessarily a great three-point shooter, but a guy that is able to help you out on the glass. I think that that's going to be key for Butler in this game. And then Aaron Thompson, four and a half assists, a two-point three turnovers per game, is able to give you eight points per game. So I do think the Butler going to be able to take care of the ball. You got a Georgetown team really looking to play up tempo. Butler, a bottom 50 team with regards to possessions per game. I think that Butler style wins out. I did wind up saying this total. As a result, more around a 134 and a half diving under with Butler. Made them the one and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line as we move on to 789, 790 on the betting board. Middle Tennessee is going to be playing us the Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is finding themselves as a 3 to 3.5 point underdog in your total on this game. Center board team 140.5 and 141. And when it comes to Middle Tennessee, I do wind up saying them as a 4.5 point favorite. When it comes to Florida Atlantic, this is a team that they are down a couple guys when it comes to the backcourt. So I do think that that is going to be a little bit of a key. And then when it comes to Middle Tennessee, you don't necessarily have a team that does a great job on the glass right now. DeAndre Dishman is your top rebounder with the right around 4.6 rebounds per game. And Eli Lawrence is a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy. 10.5 points, 4.1 rebounds, a steal and a half per game, shooting 31% from three. Middle Tennessee overall, they only shoot about 30% from three point range. But you take a look at this Florida Atlantic team and dealing with the ailments that they are, it is a little bit tough for this team. You've got Vladislav Gouldin, so they will give you right around 5.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. He winds coming in from Texas Tech as they will do a relatively solid job there. You do have a guy in Brian Greenlee as well that comes in from Minnesota. He's able to shoot about 41% from three point range, 10.5 points per game. Can be a little bit spotty with this play though as well. And then what I think is going to be really interesting for this team, Everett Winchester, a guy that has been dealing with some injuries. He has come back and he hasn't looked like the same guy. Seven points are and now four of the last five games that he has played in. So I think that that's going to be a big giant issue when it comes to the team. And then you take a look at Middle Tennessee and you do have the transfer from UW-Green Bay and Josh Jefferson who's been able to get the team 13 points per game shooting 92% at the free throw line. Donovan Sims also shoots 92% at the free throw line. He's been able to pump in there 10 points, 
four boards, two and a half assists per game. Overall, Middle Tennessee, they do shoot 73%. The free line, Florida Atlantic has been one of the lesser teams in all of college basketball at being able to guard the three-point arc. And then what you're able to get out of John Carlos Rosado, he has been able to actually be able to step up a little bit more for this team. He's been able to bump in there right around six and a half points per game. He's able to give you three rebounds per game. But you got a lot of guys other than Michael Forrest that just don't do a lot. Forrest has been the heart and soul of this team, 15 points per game, shooting 36.5% for three-point range, but he has been all over the place. In the last five games, 21, 5, 17, 2, and 27 points. So you're either going to get really, really good Michael Forrest or you're going to get really, really bad Michael Forrest. And I do think that Middle Tennessee going to be able to do a solid job on being able to guard him. And I do think that you could wind up getting some late game following in this one. And Florida Atlantic, they shoot 65.7% free line. So maybe Middle Tennessee, a four and a half point favorite. So this total of 142.5, you've got a Middle Tennessee team that's looking to pump up the temple a little bit. So going over and willing to lay the point. 791, 792 on the bang board. Detroit hits the road to face off against Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is signing themselves between a pick-em duel, one point favorite, and your talents game. And between 146 half and 148. You call them Fort Wayne, you're going to see them on the betting board as IPFW. And with IPFW, this is a bunch I wound up saying as a two-point underdog. I just think that when it comes to Detroit, they are the more talented team in this game. And have a guy in Antoine Davis. That is a complete and utter showstopper. How about this guy? Give you 23.5 points, 4 rebounds, 5.3 assists, shooting 42% for 3, 93.5% the free throw line. It's cut down on the turnovers too. 3 turnovers or fewer in each of the last 5 games, and he is on a run when it comes to the scoring. At least 19 points in pretty much each out of the team's last 10 games. He has yet to score fewer than 16 points all season long, so he has been nothing short of superb for this team. Down low, Budet Asech has been able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game. Ari Kapadia for for IPFW counters with right around 10.6 rebounds per game, but for Detroit, I do think that Kevin McAdoo is going to be able to step up 7 points per game, only shooting about 30% from 3-point range, but that's why you've got Mr. Johnson shooting 42% from 3-point range. Matt Johnson has been able to do a great job of being able to help out with that aspect. He gives you a steal per game. You take a look at him. He gave me a little bit of a streakier guy, but he has been able to give the team about 8 steals in the last 4 games as well, so he's been able to do a great job on defense, and it's just always a roll of the dice as what you're going to be able to get down low, because Prince will has been out for a little bit over a month for this team. You've been dealing with injuries to Noah Waterman as well, but Waterman is back. Last year shot 53% from three-point range as a six-foot-eleven stretch forward, so that's absolutely insane. And then Jared Godfrey and Jalen Pipkins on the other end for IPFW have been able to combine for 31 points and right around eight rebounds per game. Godfrey gives you four assists and two steals per game. IPFW last year won the top teams in terms of three-point shooting in all of college basketball. They do shoot 79% the free line, about 34.5% for three, so we've seen a little bit of a fall off there, and they still do turn the ball over quite a bit. 13 and a half times per game, you got a Fort Wayne team that doesn't necessarily gun it in. For Detroit, they're actually in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. I do think that they're going to be upping their tempo as the season goes along and get back to basics, but I don't think that they're going to up it to the point where they're going to be able to cash this over. I wound up saying this little at 142, so I'm diving under. And with Detroit, I just think that they've got more talent in the backcourt that'll win out. Set them as a two-point favorite, so take Detroit on the money line slash as pick, and I'm going to be taking a look at this little under as well. 793, 794 on the bang board. You've got Wright State, and they hope to be the right side against Robert Morris. Bobby Morris is finding itself between a 4.5 and, and a 5-point underdog, and you're turning on this game, finding it anywhere between a 150 and a 152, and Mead Wright State a 6-point favorite. Have to adjust for the fact that the top scorer on Robert Morris is out of the fold in regime done. He left the program about a week or so ago, was averaging 13 points, 3.5 boards, 4 assists on 31% 3-point shooting, so that is a big issue for the team now. With Robert Morris, you do have a guy in Cam Ferris that's able to light it up from 3-point range, making 43% of his triples. He's able to give this team right around 10 points per game, but you take a look at this Robert Morris team in the two games that they've had without Rasheem Dunn. They've actually pumped up the tempo a little bit, but you can tell that this is a little bit of a rudderless 
bunch. They're now relying upon Cam Ferris, more of a designated three-point shooter to dish out the ball, and I don't think that that's going to work out very well. Now, Enoch Cheeks has a very good skill set. In at points, five and a half rebounds, two and a half assists per game in the two games. Without Mr. Dunn, he's been able to give the team 25 points, seven boards, so he's been able to do a good job there, both Robert Morris. Turnovers have been very prevalent for this team. They're averaging 15-plus in the games without their man Dunn, and then you take a look at Wright State, and this is a team that they don't generate a lot of seals. They are a team that has been struggling from the three-point line as well, shooting about 29% for distance, but you do have to enter Holden, holding it down. 20 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, 1.3 steals per game, shooting 37% for 3. Grandpa Zeal, he's only been able to shoot about 20.5% for distance, but 17.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. Tim Finke's able to give you 8.5 points, 5 boards per game as well. And this is the right state team that I think is going to be a plow down low on the glass. You do have Khalil Spears, who's been able to come in from the back of Boston Bucknell Bison, 12.5 points, 7 rebounds per game for this Robert Morris team. But Robert Morris now a little bit more thin with their rotation. Right state has actually been throttling down a little bit. I think that Robert Morris, with the of death, they're going to need to slow down their game a little bit as well. So this is a spot in which I did wind up making Wright State a six-point favorite. We'll delay here. So this total 146 as well. I do think that both of these teams are going to be playing a little bit slower in this game. So going to be diving under, and I'm going to be going with Wright State 795, 786 on the banking board. Texas Tech is going to be playing us Oklahoma State. The Red Raiders find themselves as an eight to nine-point favorite in your Charles game. Is anywhere between 128 and 129. I am a believer in Texas Tech. I think that Mark Adams is doing an absolutely terrific job. I think we might be seeing a little bit of overinflation after we wound up seeing that big win over Baylor. This is a line that I set at 8, so especially here at the 8.5 to 9, I'd be willing to take the points with Oklahoma State. And an 8 exactly, I'd be probably leaning a little bit more towards Texas Tech, but I'd much rather be taking a 9 rather than laying an 8 because, well, 8 is the number that I wound up setting on this game, but... Do you take a look at Texas Tech? And even without Terrence Shannon in full, this team has been just fine. Kevin McCullough is back and he's firing off the cylinders. Then it will give the team 13.5 points, 6 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.7 steals per game. Just a very good, well rounded player that shoots 37.5% for 3 overall. Texas Tech does shoot 66% of the free line. That is a little bit of an issue. Now, I will say Oklahoma State, you want to talk about bad shooting, and you've got it right here. 66% of the line, 29% for 3, 15.5 turnovers per game, but they generate 10.5 steals per game as well. Bryce Williams, Avery Anderson, the third. They combine for a little bit over four steals, 23 points, five assists per game. You don't necessarily have a lot of three-point shooting when it comes to the scene, but you got one guy that's been able to step up in Mr. Kalen Boone. He's been able to shoot 39% for three. He's been able to give the team six and a half points per game, so I like what he's able to bring to the table. And you take a look at the last five games, he combined 33 points in those, so he's been able to step it up. Isaac likely right around seven and a half points, six rebounds, three points, seven assists, 1.6 steals per game, so he's been able to do a good job there. Moves to Cissé down low. He's able to give you right around five and a half boards, multiple locks per game, Adonis Arms on the other end for Texas Tech has really been one of the main facilitators for this team. 8.5 points, 4 boards, 2.5 assists per game, shooting 37% for 3, and Bryson Williams to be able to give the team 12 points, 5 boards, shooting 42% for 3, but Texas Tech, this is a team that they really pride themselves on defense, but you've got an Oklahoma State team that ranks in the top 35 with regards to possessions per game. I do think that they're going to look to pump up the tempo in this game. I think that they're going to have a little bit of success with it. Texas Tech looking to play low and slow. I think that you wind up getting something in the middle, so I did wind up setting the total at 136. I'm taking a look at an over, and with setting Texas Tech as an 8-point favorite, looking at an 8.5 slash 9 here with Oklahoma State as we move on to 797-798 on the bank board. Niagara is going to be playing with Canisius. The Golden Griffins are finding themselves at 6.5 to 7-point underdogs in your tallest game is saying we're team 135.5 and 136 and when it comes to Niagara, I wind up saying them as a 7.5-point favorite. You've got a Niagara bunch that has been able to do an absolutely supreme job of being able to just slow games down. They rank in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game. you got a Canisius team that they rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions 
per game. So it's a battle of something's got to give. I did wind up saying my total at a 136. So at the 135 and a half, I'd be looking at an over because I do think that you're sort of going to have a differential, which is going to lead to late game following. And with Niagara, they shoot 77.5% the line, 35.5% from three. Marcus Salmon going to be the most well-rounded player out there on the floor. 16.5 points, four boards, two and a half assists per game. Malik Green has been able to do a solid job for Canisius with 15 points, right around six and a half rebounds per game, but he wound up coming in off the bench first time in quite a while that he played against Quinnipiac. 14 minutes did not look like himself one bit. That plays a big role in this handicap. The Golden Griffins do have Amadou Fofana, who's been able to give the team right around three and a half assists of 1.9 turnovers per game, chipping in there right around eight and a half points per game, and has been able to give the team 13 plus each out of the last three games, so he's been able to emerge there a little bit, but I don't know if he's going to be able to keep that up for much longer. You haven't been able to get a lot out of Viaco Fritz, who has been out due to injury, seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. He wound up playing in that game against Quinnipiac, had nine points in the game, but you tell that he wasn't necessarily himself either, so you've got a lot of issues when it comes to this Canadian team and then for Niagara. I do think that Sam Oreo, the transfer from South Alabama along with American is going to be able to step up for this team. He stands right around 6'7", 10 points, 5 rebounds, shooting 42% per 3-point range. Greg Kukomenza is going to be able to shoot 55% per 3. Overall, you've got a Niagara team that they shoot 36% from 3-point range. They did wind up having to lose Raheem Solomon before the season, but Justin Roberts has been stepping up a little bit more lately. He's been able to get the team 6-plus points in each of the last 4 games, so I do like the way that he's coming along, so I am willing delay the points here when it comes to Niagara set them as a 7.5 point favorite when it comes to this total made it a 136 you've got a very fast team a very slow team so sort of took a middle approach so you're at 135 and a half taking the over and well delayed here with Niagara 799 800 on the betting board you've got Florida International hit the road to face off against UAB the Blazers are a 16 to 17 point favorite and your total on this game finding it anywhere between a 141 and a half and a 143 and I think the UAB should be a sizable favorite, but can only make it a 15 and a half. So here at 16 plus, I'm going to be taking a look at the points when it comes to Florida International. Florida International has actually throttled down a little bit this year. They used to be a team that was in more of the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. Now they're more around 85th. They've been trying to pride themselves on a little bit more defense. And Tevin Brewer has been very good for this team. 15 and a half points per game. A guy that from distance shoots 41%, 6.3 assists to 2.7 turnovers with a seal per game. Florida International doesn't force as many seals as in past years, but still 7.5 per contest, and I do like what you've been able to get out of Cloven Brown. The transfer from Vanderbilt has been able to get the same 8 points, 5.5 rebounds. Not necessarily shooting it great from 3-point range, but that's why you've got other pieces out there, like K. Javante Hawkins, who's been able to shoot 35.7% from distance. Guy that's able to give you 6.5 points per game has been in a little bit of a rut recently, but I do think that he'll be able to pull himself out of that and them for UAB. Gotta love what you're able to get out of Jordan Walker. Top scorer has been able to get the same 16 points, 4.5 assists, and this is a UAB team that they forced right around 11 seals per game, but they haven't been forcing as many seals ever since Conference USA play began. Now, Trey Jameson, the 7-footer from Clemson, 1.5 blocks, 7.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game, so they've been able to do a solid job there. Michael Erdo, Quan Jackson, KJ Buffin. These three guys combined to be able to give you about 31 points per game. Buffin is able to give you 6.5 rebounds per game. Ertl is able to shoot 38% per three in UAB. Looking like one of the better major teams out there in all of college basketball, but I think that Florida International is being sold short. This has been a Florida International team that has been relatively solid recently. Wound up getting off to a little bit of a shaky start to the season, but... I do think that FIU going to be able to hold in this game. Set this line at 15 and a half, so I'm willing to take the points. Made this total 143 and a half as well. UAB has really kicked up their tempo, so relatively efficient on defense, but 
I do think that you're going to be seeing quite a few turnovers in this game leading to points. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over and I am willing to take the 16 plus here for Florida International. 801, 802 on the banging board. Texas State is going to be playing us to UL Monroe. Monroe is open to do the Texas two-step to a cover. Is there anywhere between eight and eight and a half point underdogs in your tallest game? Finding it anywhere between a 144 and a 145. And with Texas State, I want up saying them as more around a six-point favorite. When it comes to this Texas State team, they have been dealing with a lot of COVID-19 concerns as well. They've been playing a little bit more shorthanded now. They should have a lot of their pieces out there. You've got Caleb Asbury, who has been absolutely tremendous for this team. Talk about a guy that's able to fill it up 13 and a half points, four and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, seal per game. You do have Mason Arrow, who's able to shoot 44% from three-point range, and then I see how small. So able to come up big for this team. 11 and a half points, seven boards with a seal per game. You've got a Texas State team that they do shoot 36% from three, but they play very slow, and they turn the ball over over 13 times per game. Then you take a look at Louisiana Monroe. They get eight and a half seals per game. Each other top three scores are able to give you a little bit over a seal per game, as you've got Kareem Ozier, Russell Harrison, along with Andre 3000 Jones. These three guys have been able to give you right around 38 and a half points per game. They're able to combine for a little bit over four seals per game. Harrison shooting 41 and a half percent per three. OZA more around 35% per three. Harrison's able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. Now that's a big part of it as well. Harrison is right now your top rebounder. Thomas Hell is the next best guy. Nine and a half points, right around 4.9 rebounds per game. But I do like what you're able to get out of I'm going to say this name wrong. Gentleman from Georgia, Nika Netzervilsvili. We're going to call him Nika. He's been able to give the team nine and a half points per game. You take a look at him, and he's gone off for 17 plus in three of the team's last four games, four plus boards in every one of these games, at least a block per game as well. He has been able to come in. He's been able to do a supreme job. And for Texas State, this isn't a team that necessarily has a lot of depth. Nigel Caesar has been able to come through with right around nine points, five and a half rebounds per game, but and take a look at what you've been able to get out of some of these guys like Dylan Dawson with four points per game. That's been a little bit tough. He's been out due to health and safety protocols. Dre Drinian has only been able to give you right around four points per game as well. He's been out as well. So, I mean, it's been a really tough situation here for Texas State. I think that Texas State should be able to get the outright win, but Texas State playing a very slow style. Louisiana Monroe has been able to kick it up a little bit, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of turnovers in this game. Set the total at a 135 as a result. Taking a look at the under. Texas State made them an eight-point favorite, so taking the points here with Monroe. 803, 804 on the bang board. Louisiana, it's the road to face off against UT Arlington. The Mavericks are finding themselves between a pickup to a one-point favorite in your tallest game. Saying between 134 and 134 and a half. When it comes to UT Arlington, I did wind up saying them as a three-point home underdog. I just cannot combine this team now. David Asor has been very solid with regards to a scoring aspect with 17 points per game. Shooting just 27% from three. Now, it looked like he wound up getting online in the team's last game. In that loss against Georgia Southern, this guy was in fuego as he wound up also being able to give the team nine rebounds in that game as well, so that was very solid, but he wound up having 33 points, went 5 of 5 from 3 point range after he came into that game, shooting darn near 20% from 3 point range, but take a look at Louisiana down low, they're going to be able to dominate. You've got Jordan Brown, a former McDonald's All-American along Theo Akwuba. These two guys have been able to give you 25.4 points, 8.8 rebounds, a piece from both of these guys. Both guys give you 1.6 blocks per game, and then you've got Brown shooting 38.5% from 3, Akwuba 50% from distance, Louisiana, they only shoot 67% free throw line, but they pump up the tempo. They rank in the top 10 with regards to possessions per game. They generate 7.5 steals per game. Craig Williams Jr. has been out of the fold for quite a bit for this team, but 
You have Kentrell Garnett, who is going to be back. Garnett is someone that is shooting 51% from three, eight and a half points per game. So he's been able to do a nice job in the backcourt. And this team has been able to unearth, I guess you could call it, some unlikely gems. As you've been able to have Joe Charles be able to give this team some starts. He's been able to give the team now seven plus points in each of the last five games. Shooting 48% from three was really an afterthought coming into the season. And now he all of a sudden has been a big time contributor for this team. And when it comes to UT Arlington, they do have one of the best shot blockers that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Kidorichi Okabanu Ihogo who in terms of blocks on a permanent basis among qualifying players was number one in all of college basketball last year. This year, 2.8 blocks on 21.1 minutes per game, 5.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job down low, but he scored 7 points or fewer in each of the last four games. Pedro Castro has not lived up to his billing. He's only been able to give the team 7 points per game. He's been out since mid-December, so that's hurt this team. And you've really been looking to Prince Mawomba, who's been able to give the team 9.5 points per game. You take a look at him recently, and he's chipped in their 9-plus points in far the last five games, at least eight rebounds in three of the last five. is able to give you right around two assists per game as well, so he's been a very well-rounded gentleman, but with that said, I do think that it is going to be a little bit of a horse-piece situation going up against these Louisiana pigs. Arlington is looking to slow it down. Louisiana is looking to pump up their tempo. I think that you get something in the middle. I think that you wind up getting some late-game following and just can't trust in UT Arlington in the spot. Set Louisiana is a three-point favorite. We'll take them on the money line and with this total, set it at a 139 as well, so we're going to be going over 805, 806 on the betting board. We go to the summit League where Denver hits the road face off against South Dakota. South Dakota is finding themselves as a 7.5 to 6.5 point favorite and your tallest game is anywhere between 140 and 141. When it comes to this South Dakota bunch, I did wind up saying them as a favorite of more around 10.5 points. This is just really a fate of Denver. Denver is a team that I don't have a lot of faith in. Now, you do have a few guys that have been able to step up for this team. Peyton Moore has been able to give you right around 4.5 rebounds per game as a transfer from Rice. And KJ Hunt, he has been on the hunt for some big-time stats. 16 points, 4.5 boards, shooting about 32% for 3-point range with a seal per game, but... For Denver, though, they do shoot 35% from three. They turn the ball over 15 times per game, and this defense is absolutely wretched. Kedio Petio Hunt has been able to do a great job. 14 points, right around 38% three-point shooting. Mason Armberchult has been able to shoot 92% the free line. 13 points, four boards per game from him. Tazos Camateros has not necessarily lived up to his billing, but still shooting 35.5% from three-point range as a good combo player. And then Hunter Goodrick wound up going off for, I kid you not, Seven points and 18 rebounds in the team's last game against North Dakota overall this season. He's been able to give the team eight boards per contest, so he has been a rock down low. And with Denver, you have no rebounding with this team whatsoever. You've got a Denver bunch of which they are just giving up points upon points. They're not necessarily a blazer, but you take a look at it, and they've given up at least 74 points in each out of their last five games. South Dakota, they've been a little bit hit or miss when it comes to the offense, but I do think that Denver is a good antidote for them being able to get online. I did wind up saying this total at a 140. So I'm going to be taking a look at it over. And for South Dakota, I think that they're going to just bludgeon Denver on the glass, set them as a 10.5 point favorite. So laying the points and taking a look at the overs. 807, 808 on the betting board. You've got North Dakota and they're going to be playing us Western Illinois. Leathernecks are between a 9 and 9.5 point road favorite in your Dallas game. They're between 154.5 and 155.5. North Dakota is right now worthy of being a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. I set Western Illinois as a 12.5 point favorite. When it comes to Western Illinois, download Tim L. Pearson. Should be able to win the battle. Seven rebounds per game. You've got Sasonte Sarsiste, who's right now leading North Dakota with right around 
five and a half rebounds per game, but you take a look at Western Illinois and Trenton Macer along with Will Carius are combined for 32.7 points per game, nine rebounds. Macer is able to give you 3.8 assists per game and a single half per contest. Carius, he shoots 42 and a half percent from three point range. All in all, the Leathernecks shoot 34.7 percent from the outside, only 11 turnovers per game, despite the fact that they play very much a tempo. And then Colton Sandage has been able to give you 14 and a half points per game. Luca Bautasic has been able to do a solid job as well, 12 and a half points per game. He's a guy that has been able to chip in there right around five boards per game. And then for North Dakota, I will say, Paul Burns has been able to do a good job for this team. 14 points, five boards. He's able to bury 39% of his threes. He's really stepped up ever since Caleb Nero has been out these last eight games. But you've been dealing with some big-time injuries with this team. You've been out without Brendan Howard for a few games. He's been out ever since mid-December. And he was a guy that was chipping in there right around 7.5 points per game. Was shooting over 40% from three-point range. You've also got Mitchell Sucker, who has been out due to ailments. He has returned for the team. But last game against South Dakota, he played in 12 minutes and he had zero points. So that is a big giant fall for a guy that was shooting 42% for three with 10 and a half points per game. They've been looking a little bit more to Ethan Ogabanu to be able to step up, but he has not been able to just seven points per game. This is a North Dakota team that they do shoot 72.5% the free throw line, but one of the poopiest defenses that we have seen in college basketball this season. Now, I do think that Western Illinois is going to do a good job of being able to shut down the three-point arc. I set my total at a 154.5, so the 155 to 155.5 that I'm seeing right now, I'm going to take a look at it under just because I don't think that North Dakota is going to be able to put the biscuit in the basket. I think that Western Illinois is going to be able to just win and destroy North Dakota on the glass. So set this line at 12 and a half, we'll to lay it, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot. 809, 810 on the banging board. UIC, Illinois, Chicago. It's a road face-off against UW-Milwaukee. Milwaukee is between a 3.5 and, and a 4-point favorite in your turn on this game. You're finding it anywhere between a 135.5 and, and a 136. I said Milwaukee is a 3.5-point favorite. Before you ask, it seems as though Mr. Pat Baldwin Jr. is going to be out full, and really, until further notice, just assume that he's going to be out. He's been dealing with injuries all season long, as that been able to take the floor. If something winds up changing, I will let you know, but I'm just assuming from here on out that he's not going to be playing for UW-Milwaukee, but with DeAndre Golson, he has been able to give the team right around 15 points, 5 rebounds, a guy that shoots only about 33% from 3, but they're the most guys on this team. UW-Milwaukee is a collective. They shoot 30.2% from 3-point range, 13 and a half turnovers per game. Now, Donovan Newby is able to give you right around 8.5 points per game, but you take a look at him recently, and he's seen a little bit of a fall off as given the team 8 points or fewer in pretty much 5 of the team's last 7 games. So that's been an issue. His assists have gone down. He's given the team 3-plus turnovers in each of the last 3 games. Meanwhile, you take a look at UIC, and they've been dealing with a couple guys in health and safety protocols as well. Demaria Franklin has not been seen in the last 2 games got to figure that he's going to be up, but you still have Kevin Johnson, 12 points, 5.8 assists, a 2.8 turnovers per game when it comes to UIC. Only about 12 turnovers per game, so they've been able to do a solid job there. Now, they need a little bit more down low. Michael Diggins has been dealing with health and safety protocols as well, but Zion Griffin, 12 points, 4 boards, shooting 38% from 3-point range. They have also gotten back one of their transfers as well. In Marcus Larson, he wound up being able to take the floor against Wright State a couple days ago. Was out for the IUPUI game, but transfer from Incarnate Word last year was able to give the team 8.6 rebounds per game, so they might be able to have the services of the six foot eleven gentlemen out there as well. When it comes to UW-Milwaukee, they really don't impress me. UIC, they're a little bit of a bottom feeder as well. I did wind up saying this line at 3.5, so at 4 or greater, I'd be willing to take a shot here on UIC. At a 3.5, I'd be leaning a little bit more towards the points, but obviously with it being right on my number, not necessarily looking to fire in on that exact number, but at a 4 or greater, taking a look at UIC and 
Set my total at 135 and a half. So here at 136, take a look at the under. 8-11, 8-12. Postponed game between Tennessee Tech and Southeast Missouri State. So we head to 8-13, 8-14 on the betting where Belmont is going to be playing us to be the Governators. Are between 22 and a half and 23-point underdogs in your total on this game. Same between 146 and 147. I do recognize that this Belmont team is awesome, but... I mean, we've went too far here. I wound up saying this line at 17. Also, B has already went on the road and knocked off Dayton this year. Now, I recognize that that was a little bit of a different time of the season, but I mean, come on. You're able to get, at the very least, an honest effort here from Austin P. Austin P does have Caleb Stonewall Carowell, who's been able to give the team 13 points per game, shooting about 32% per three. He's given the team 13 plus points in each of the team's last four contests. Now, he has also had a combined 13 turnovers in those games as well, and I will say for Belmont, they're doing a better job of pickpocketing this season. A little bit over nine seals per game, and Grayson Murphy, really the lifeblood for the team. In that point, six rebounds, 5.8 assists, two and a half seals per game, so he's been able to do a good job there. And then Will Richard shooting 43% per three, 11 and a half points per game. And Nick Mazuzinski, gotta love this guy. 17 points, six boards. He's not necessarily a guy that's gonna go out there and shoot threes, but he's able to give you two blocks per game. Ben Shepard has been able to give you 16 points per game, solid three-point shooter, but when it comes to Austin B down low, you do have someone that is able to give you right around seven and a half boards per game, and Elijah Hutchins-Everett, he's been able to chip been there right in the neighborhood of about 12 and a half points per game so he has been very good in the low post for the team seven plus rebounds in each of the team's last four games and then Tyreek Silver, the transfer from Oregon State, shoots 38% from three for a team that they shoot about 70% the free throw line, 32% from the outside. They generate right around seven and a half steals per game with Cam Copeland being able to give you a steal and a half per game, a long 10 and a half points per game. Carlos Payas, three and a half assists, a 1.1 turnovers per game, shooting 95% the free throw line. So, I mean, should Austin P win this game outright? Heck no, but I mean, to go to like 23 points in this spot, I think it's just too far. I want to say my total at 147, seeing a 146 out there, I'm willing to take that over. Even at the 147, just with the way that Belmont is efficient. I'd be looking at the over before I'd be looking at the under, but in this spot, set the spread at 17. So I'm taking the points along with the over. 815, 816 on the bang board. Murray State is going to be playing us to Tennessee State. Tennessee State is finding themselves a 20 point underdog, and your talents game is anywhere between 148 and a half and 115. And when it comes to Murray State, this is a bunch I want to making an 18 point favorite. I think that they should be a relatively empty favorite, but I think we've went, once again, a little bit too far here because you do have Carlos Marshall Jr. for the Tennessee State. State squad, and he's been able to do a good job with 13 points, shooting 43.5% from three-point range, and then Diedrich Boyd, why is he coming in from Illinois State? 41% three-point shooter, 11.5 points per game. Marcus Fitzgerald Jr. gives you right around 12 points per game, and then Kasim Nicholson, he has been able to come in from UAB, 11 points, 8 boards, so he's done a solid job there. Tennessee State as a collective shoots 38.5% from three, 72% free line. Big bugaboo for them has been turnovers, 15 turnovers per game. You take a look at this Murray State team, and you're your out. They're a relatively underrated defense, they are able to generate 8 seals per game with Trey Hannibal coming in from South Carolina. 9.5 points, 4 boards, 1.6 seals per game and then got a pair of guys shooting north of 43.5% from 3-point range in Tevin Brown along Justice Hill. Hill's been able to give the team 13 points and 4.5 assists per game. Brown, 19 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.7 assists per game and then KJ Williams is legitimately at 6 foot 10 shooting 33% from 3, 16.5 points per game. Murray State though, they do shoot 67.5% the free throw line. They shoot 38% from 3 but Tennessee State though I think that they could bludgeon a little bit in this game. I think that they're going to be able to hold in there. Murray State actually plays at a little bit more of a controlled tempo as well. I do think that the turnovers are going to hurt this out a little bit. Set this out at 144.5, so one to dive under with Murray State. Go ahead and set them at 18, so here at 20, going to be taking a look at the points with Tennessee State. 817, 818 on the betting board. Iwi Pui, IUPUI. It's a road face off against UW Green Bay, the Phoenix, between 9.5 and 10.5 point favorites, and your total on this game is between 121 and 121.5. 
It takes a special kind of stink to make Green Bay a two-touchdown favorite. This is a special kind of stink, ladies and gentlemen. I set Green Bay at 14, so that tells you where I'm at with this Ewe Pee team, though. They have been able to cover each other the last two games, but they also lost on their own floor to Chicago State this year. That's just absolutely embarrassing, but take a look at UW Green Bay. Emmanuel Ansung, I think he's going to be the best player out there. Now, B.J. Maxwell, going to have something to say about that. Both of these guys average for their respective teams right around 12 to 12 and a half points per game. Both of these guys give their teams right around 5 to 5 and a half boards per game, but Lucas T. Bear is someone that has been able to step up for UW Green Bay. A guy that's able to dish out four assists to one and a half turnovers per game, six and a half points per contest, has been able to kick it up a little bit more recently and combined 33 points in the last three games. And then you take a look at IUPUI putting the PU in IUPUI and Barkari Lestrap has really become the number two option for this team. Shooting 38% for three, double figures in each of the team's last three games and has been able to go out 11 assists but also has had eight turnovers in that time span as well. IUPUI Boy, are they turning the ball over. 17.2 turnovers per game. Sarah Lee's Bakery doesn't create that many turnovers, so that has not been great. Bobby Harvey has been out of the fold for the team, a guy that was actually able to give the team a little bit of a heartbeat, and then you take a look at UW-Green Bay, and you do wind up bringing in Donovan Ivory from Boise State. He's been able to give the team 10.5 points per game. Has been a little bit banged up. He's expected to miss this game, but who has been able to step up behind him has been Randy Tucker, a guy that owns only averaging right around 3 points per game this season, but has been able to give the team couple more rebounds, a couple more assists recently, so I think that he's going to be able to get a little bit more run in the spot with IUPUI. I think that they're going to be just turning the ball over like 100 million billion times, and I think that this is going to be another sloppy game. You've got a UW-Green Bay team in the bottom 100 with regards to possessions per game. IUPUI is just legitimately one of the worst offenses we've ever seen. They scored 60 points against a D1 opponent for the first time all year a few days ago, so said this out at 118. I'm diving under, and with UW-Green Bay, one to lay up to 14, so laying the points. 819-820 on the bang board. Chicago State, it's the road to face off against UT Rio Grande Valley. Grand Valley is finding themselves a 9.5 to a 10-point favorite in your toss game. It's anywhere between 148 and 149. I don't think that Chicago State is going to be able to get another road win like they did against the good old PU squad. So I am going to be willing to lay it here with UT Rio Grand Valley. Grand Valley is a team that I wound up setting up. It's more around a 12.5-point favorite. Actually, Chicago State has been quite a bit more respectable this year. But you take a look at Chicago State, and they've just been dealing with a bunch of injuries. Now, the good news for them is that they have been able to get a couple reinforcements. Ali Abdu-Diba has returned for the last four games, and he's been able to give the team double figures in three of them. He's been able to chip in there 14.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job. Brandon Betson has been able to do it all season long for the team. 13.5 points per game, shooting 35.5% from three-point range, and reinforcements in the form of Bryce Johnson are back as well, but with Bryce Johnson, very much a hit-or-miss guy. A combined 13 points in the last two games since returning overall for this season, averaging 8.5 points, shooting 39% from three-point range, and when it comes to Chicago State, Corian Russian is so able to give the team 7.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that Mike Aduanimi, who comes in from SIU Edwardsville and is able to give the team 6.5 rebounds per game, takes him to task. Then you've got Justin Johnson, who is going to be the best scorer out there on the floor. Seven 18.5 points, shooting 39% per three, 2.5 assists, 5.7 rebounds per game. Now, turns the ball over 3.5 times per game. UT Rio Grande Valley, they turn the ball over 15 times for contest. They don't necessarily generate a lot of steals. Hey, Chicago State, they turn the ball over right around 16 times per game. They get 5.6 steals per game. So, you've got two of the same there. You've been able to get a little bit more out of the backcourt out of Dominique Alexander. 
for the Chicago State team as well. Nine plus points in four other teams last five games. And you've got a Grand Valley team that has really been looking to push a tempo. You do have your concerns when it comes to turnovers. So I did wind up saying the total at a 148.5 as a result. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under. When it comes to UT Rio Grand Valley, I think that they're just better run at the point guard spot. Ricky Nelson, nine points, four assists, shooting 52% from three-point range. So he's been able to do a good job as the floor general of this team. And I think that he's going to lead UT Rio Grand Valley to a double-digit win. Willing to lay up to 12.5 here with Grand Valley and going to be taking a look at the under. 821-822 on the bang board. Lamar is going to be playing with Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State is finding themselves a 5-6 to six point favorite in your draw game. It's between 135 and 136. And when it comes to Sam Houston State, I did wind up saying them as a favorite of 6.5 points. When it comes to Lamar, just hasn't been out there on the court very much. You take a look at this Lamar team, and they were able to get in a game on the... 30th against Sam Houston State, and that's the last time they wound up playing, so it's pretty much a back-to-back for this Lamar team, and last time these two teams wound up playing, it was actually really tight. This is, was a one-point game with about four minutes remaining, and then Sam Houston State wound up going on a 12-2 run to be able to get a win, and they were able to get a cover in that game as well. For Sam Houston State, big concern with this team. They are dead last in the country with regards to free-throw shooting percentage, and to win that game the last time around, they had to shoot 11 of 25 for three-point range, overcame an 8 of 16 free-throw shooting night, but they're going to have by far the best player on their floor, Savion Flagg. 22 points last time these two teams wound up playing. He's been averaging for the year 20 points, 8.5 rebounds, shooting 40% from three-point range. He has been terrific. You also had Demarcus Lampley in that last matchup score 20 points overall this season, 12 points per game. He's shooting 37% from the outside. This is a Lamar team that they don't guard the three-point arc well, and this is a Lamar team that they're very hit or miss when it comes to being able to make their threes. Right around 32.5% from distance, they shoot 68% on the free throw line. Now, C.J. Roberts has been able to get the team 14 points, 2.5 assists per game, and the DV on Buster has been busting it up, shooting 36% from three-point range, 13 points per game, but you really have no rebounding when it comes to this team. You've had Lincoln Smith be able to give you right around six points per game, and that's about it. Kaysan Harrison and Jordan Adams have both been dealing with injuries. They combined for about 24 points per game. Adams shoots 39% from three-point range, but he did not wind up playing the last time these two teams wound up taking the floor. There's a good chance he's going to be winding up out for this game as well. And then when it comes to Ellis Jefferson, he's a guy that I thought was going to ascend a little bit more last year. I had five and a half points per game, three and a half assists. That's maybe we give out 3.3 assists per game, but turnovers are up for him. Three plus turnovers in each of the last three games. A guy that just isn't able to put the ball in the basket. So I do think that you're going to see sort of the same result that we wound up seeing the last time around. I'm willing to lay up to six half year with Sam Houston State despite their bad free throw shooting because got a Lamar team that I said they wanted to play it was against Sam Houston State so it's going to be a little bit of a problem and so the Soto 133 Lamar has had a tough time putting the ball in the basket they're playing relatively slow so diving under and one delayed here with Sam Houston State 823 824 postponed game between North Dakota State and St. Thomas so we go to 825 826 South Dakota State it's the red face off against Nebraska Omaha Omaha is finding themselves a 14 and a half to a 15 point underdog in your total on game it is a whopper at 164 to 165 and a half. Yeah, I do think that total should be high in North Dakota State games at Oma. They stink to high noon when it comes to offense. I said this sold out of 158. I mean, even if you wind up getting 95 points out of South Dakota State, that still means that you need to get 70 points out of Oma. And I just don't know if you're going to be able to get that out of Oma. You take a look at this team and... They have just been all over the place. They have scored 67 points or fewer in three of their last four games. Now, Nick Ferrarini has been able to do a relatively solid job for this Omaha team. 10.5 points per game. He's been able to give you only about 26% three-point shooting. Overall, Omaha, they shoot 33% from three-point range. I do like what you've been able to get out of Mr. Lutke and Kyle Lutke. 8.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. Shoots 37% from three-point range. And you've had someone step up with his 37.5% three-point shooting. And Frankie Fiddler has been able to give you 9 points per game. You take a look at him recently. And 
has been able to give the team double figures in four out of the last five games, but this is an Omaha team that they do a very poor job on the glass, and for South Dakota State, Baylor Shireman just subs the stat sheet. 14 half points, 8 half rebounds, 4 assists, shooting 44% from 3, and you take a look at South Dakota State, they shoot as a team 44.6% from 3-point range. Now, I do think that there's going to be a regression to this. This is just not sustainable right here, but they do shoot 75% the free fly. They do have Douglas Wilson, so they will give you 14 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Noah Friedel, 18 points per contest. He shoots 40% from three-point range. Alex Arians shooting 47% from distance, seven points per game. And then Charlie Easley has been easily one of the best three-point shooters in all of college basketball. Seven points per game on 55.5% three-point shooting. So he has been white out right there. I do think that Omaha is going to get bludgeoned in this game. I'm actually willing to lay the 15 here. I set South Dakota State as a 15.5-point favorite. Omaha legitimately bottom 20 team in all of college basketball. But Omaha needs to probably score 70 points to be able to get this total over. I don't think they're going to be able to do so. Set this total at 158. So diving under and laying the points. 827-828. Postponed game between Little Rock and Arkansas State. So we go to 829-830 on the bank board. Georgia State is going to be in the red face off against South Alabama. South Alabama is between a 1 and 2 point favorite. Toronto's game is 145.5 to 146.5 and... When it comes to South Alabama, set them as a five and a half point favorite. You've been having both teams dealing with health and safety protocols, which has been hurting them quite a bit. But I do think that when it comes to South Alabama, most of their guys should be back out there on the floor. You can tell that they were hurt by the fact that Javon Franklin did wind up missing a few games. A guy that down low for this team has been relatively solid. Seven rebounds at 11 points per game for the Auburn transfer. He should be back to be able to go in this game. And that's going to be big because he had nine plus rebounds in three out of the last four games. And then you take a look at Georgia State. And this has been a team that has been really hampered all season long. Forget the health and safety protocols, but... Alil Nsume, someone who was just really good for the team all season long, right around 12 points to 10 rebounds per game. He wound up just seeing his first action of the season against UT Arlington. Looked relatively solid. He was able to give the team 7 rebounds, but you know that he's going to need some time to be able to sort things out. Josh Thomas is able to give you 7.5 points per game, and really that's it when it comes to rebounding for the team now. Corey Allen has been able to do a solid job shooting 41% from 3-point range, 16 points per contest. He's been able to give the team 15 plus in the last three games. Then he's played it. He's sort of been in and out of the full Kane Williams has been a lifeblood of this team. 4.5 assists, 12.5 points per game, but when he shoots 25% from 3, Georgia State, they shoot 36.5% from 3, 68% the free throw line, but I do think that Charles Manning is going to be the man here for South Alabama, shooting right around 27.5% from 3-point range, but 79% of the line, 17 points per game. Really the guy that does it from the outside for this team has been K.O. Gonsalves. He and Deontay Smith combined to be able to shoot about 35% from 3-point range. They combined 15.5 points and 8.5 rebounds per game. Uh, these two guys, J.J. Chandler, Wines coming in from Texas A&M, 15 and a half points, four boards per game. Overall, South Alabama should 68% on the free throw line, but generate seven and steals per game. I think that they're going to do a good job against a Georgia State team that has had a lot of moving parts recently. Did set the total at 145. South Alabama's been playing a little bit faster this year, but I think that they're going to get back to a little bit more of a methodical pace. So, going to be taking a look at an under of South Alabama. Willing to lay five and a half here. So, laying the points. 831, 832 on the bank board. Grand Canyon is going to be playing with Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian has found themselves a four and a half to five point underdog in your tallest game. Saying we're between 130 and 131. Very interesting handicap here because you've got an Abilene Christian team that is legitimately in the top 20 in all of college basketball. The guards possessions per game. Grand Canyon is in the bottom 75. I set this total more around to 137 and a half. So, I'm going to be taking a look at an over. And with Abilene Christian, they just do such a good job of being able to generate turnovers. They themselves don't necessarily turn the ball over too much as well. So it's a really good blend with this team, which is also why I'm going to be taking a look at them outright when it comes to Grand Canyon. This has been
been a team that you've had a couple games that were supposed to be played that they did not. The game against Lamar is certainly one of them, but you do take a look at this Antelope team, and I have my questions with them down low. Gabe McLaughlin has been able to give you 11 points, right around 6 half rebounds per game, and then Ivan Oriogo has been able to come on recently. He's been able to give this team a little bit over 6 rebounds per game. You take a look at it, and he has been able to give the team a combined 28 rebounds in the last three games since coming in from Nebraska. He's been solid, and then Javon Blackshear along with Hunter Boo Boo Woods. These two guys are combined to shoot about 43% per Three thirty points, seven point three assists, three and a half turnovers per game. But then you take a look at Abilene Christian. Certainly is a case in which the whole is greater than some of its parts. Corian Mason, right around 12 points per game, shooting 45% from three. This is a team in which you've got pretty much six different guys. They're able to give you north of six and a half points per game. Seven different guys giving you at least six and a half points per contest. You've got Reggie Miller. No, not there, Reggie Miller, but this one giving you two and a half assists per game. They generate 12 steals per game with out of their top eight scores, six of them giving you more than a steal per game. So I do like this overall team, and I do think that someone in Arian Simmons is going to be able to be a little bit of a game wrecker in that game against Sammy Houston State. 22 points, 10 rebounds. He's really been able to do some nice work recently. So I take a look at Abilene Christian. I think that it's a bad matchup here for Grand Canyon. I think that Grand Canyon could have a tough time of being able to hold on to the ball. So I'm going to be taking outright Abilene Christian on the money line. I set them as a one and a half point favorite. And when it comes to the total, set this all 137.5. Got an Abilene Christian team really looking to pump up the tempo. So going to be taking a look at the over along with this money line. 833-834 on the bank. Port Tarleton State. It's the road to face off against New Mexico State. The Aggies are anywhere between 10.5 and, and 11.5 point favorites in your total on this game. It's anywhere between 129 and 130. And when it comes to Tarleton State, they have been playing at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball. I think that this is going to continue and allow them to be able to hang in this game. I set this at 9. You have Taj Small back in the game, and Taj Small is huge for this team. He's been able to give the team 15.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, shooting 36.5% from three point range. He's a little bit of a 6'6 six six Joker player. You've got Montre Gibson, who's been able to pump in there 15 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. So he's able to do a nice job. Now, Tarleton State, they only shoot 29.5% from three, but 75.5% at the free throw line. They generate 8.5 steals per game, and they're in the bottom 10 in the country when it comes to possessions per game. So they really get their style. Now, Timmy Allen comes in from Nebraska, and he's really been able to take over this offense. 17.5 points, 7 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game. But you do have a team that shoots only about 32.5% from three-point range, and among your top four scores, one guy shoots about 30% from three, Sir Jabari Rice. So we give the team right around 14 points per game. Now, Donnie Tillman has been solid for this team. He's able to shoot about 42% from three-point range, 7.5 points per game for him, and then you've got to like what you've been able to get out of Uyulak, who's been able to shoot 44% from the outside. It's given the team a combined 30 points in the last three games that he's played in. Now, he was able to get back in the game against UT Rio Grande Valley, but was very limited in that game, so his availability is currently up in the air for this team. Vershawn Cotton has been someone that's been out of the fold recently as well. So this is a New Mexico State team that is a little bit banged up right now. Got a Tarleton State team that they do a great job with their style. They were going through some COVID-19 stuff a few weeks ago. All their guys are going to be back out there on the floor. So I think that that's going to weigh heavily in this game. I think that Tarleton State is going to do a good job of being able to hit the glass, stay live in this game. Said New Mexico State as a nine-point favorite. So one to take double the figures here with Tarleton State. Made the total 126 as well. So diving under. We move on to 835, 836 on the betting board. Eastern Illinois is going to be playing with SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville is finding themselves in between a 5.5 and a 6.5 point favorite in your tallest game. is saying between 129.5 and 131. And this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at an under. Eastern Illinois, the only team in college basketball right now that has yet to play an over. They have played, I believe it's now 12 or 13 D1 games and all of them 
have one under this season. So that has been very interesting to take a look at it. Take a look at Eastern Illinois. Your top scorer is Keyshawn Charles. He has been able to give the team 9.2 points per game along with Kawan Clements. These two guys have been trying to help this team out, but Eastern Illinois turns the ball over 17 times per game. They're in the bottom one with regards to possessions per game. They shoot 62% of the free throw line as well. They don't necessarily do a great job on the glass. Nobody gives this team more than four rebounds per game. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of Rodolfo Rofino Bolis, who's been able to give you six and a half points, five rebounds per game. That's a really fun name to say, but he has been out since the turn of the calendar. And then you take a look at SIU Edwardsville, and you do have a guy in Ray Sean Taylor who's able to take over a game. 18 points, five and a half rebounds. He's been able to shoot 36.5% from three-point range. I do think that it's going to be a little bit lower scoring, but I think that we've went a little bit too far here with Edwardsville. They had a spirited effort a couple days ago against Murray State, but you take a look at this team, and they themselves don't have a single guy that gives you more than 5.8 rebounds per game in Dijuan Pruitt, who's been able to give you right around 9 points per game with that as well. Sean Doss, 11.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, but you got a SIU Edwardsville team that they themselves shoot 66% of the free throw line, 28% from three. They throttled down with guards at tempo, 14.5 turnovers per game, so you've got your massive deficiencies there. Been dealing with a couple of injuries to this team, and Courtney Carter has not been hurt. He's just been bad this year. Last year, averaged seven points, three and a half assists per game. He this year has been only able to give you right around seven points per game, seven points or fewer in three of the last four games. So he's seen a little bit of a dip. So I think that you're going to see a grimy game. I think that SIU Edwardsville should be able to win the game, but going to make them three and a half point favorites. So taking the points here with Eastern Illinois, set this total at a 127 half. So I think that the under trend continues going under and going to be taking the points with Eastern Illinois. 837, 838 on the bank. Board. Rice hits the road to face off against Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky is a seven and a half to an eight and a half point favorite, and your total on this game is one fifty three. And when it comes to Rice, I wound up saying them as a five point underdog. I really like what I see out of this Rice team. They were able to take down UAB a couple days ago, and when it comes to Rice, you've got one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball. His name is Max Fiedler. This guy is legitimately six foot eleven and the best passer on the team. How about him being able to chip in there eight and a half rebounds, three assists to go along with his nine points per game, one point two blocks per contest to boot as well. He's only given the team five points or fewer in four of the last five games, but he has been there with his rebounding, and then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Carl Pierre along with Travis Evie. These two guys in the backcourt combined for 30 points, eight rebounds, 4.2 assists, and combined to shoot 43.5% from three-point range. Quincy Oliveri began the year injured. He's been able to pick up some seam recently, eight-plus points in four of the team's last five games last year at 16.5 points on over 40% three-point shooting, so that's big for this team. And you've even got someone like Cameron Sheffield, who has been a little bit up and down this season, but has now been able to give the team a little bit more down low. Five and a half points, three rebounds per game. So I do like what you're able to get there and them for Western Kentucky. This is a team that they don't do a great job taking care of the ball. 14 turnovers per game. Davion McKnight has four of them all by himself now. Six assists per game, shooting 40% per three with 14 points per game. And then you do have Cameron Justice and Jerry's Hamilton combining for 28.2 points. Hamilton is able to give you six boards per game. Justice shoots 37.5% per three, but depth is a little bit of an issue for the team. Now, Jamarian Sharp is legitimately the tallest player in all of college basketball. Seven foot five, 4.8 blocks per game. He has been able to do a solid job with eight points per contest. You always fear foul trouble with him, though, because, well, this is someone that with his size, he can get sometimes a little bit out of sorts. You've had Luke Frampton be able to give the team 9.5 points per game, and overall, Western Kentucky does shoot about 35 4.5% from three-point range, but when it comes to this Rice Owls team, they bury about 38.5% on their threes. I think that they're going to be able to hold in there, so we're going to be taking a look at the points here with Rice, set them as a five-point underdog, as that causes for an Odelaine Kiffinier.
Go Owls. But with that said, also said this solo 151, you've got a Western Kentucky team really look to play up-tempo, but got a pair of teams that don't do a great job of being able to take care of the ball. I think that that's going to torpedo the settle. So taking a look at the under, and I'm willing to take the points here with Rice. We go to my near post play of the day, 839, 840 on the betting board. Indiana is going to be in the road to face off against Iowa. Hawkeyes are between a 4 and 4.5 four and point favorite in your tolerance game, finding it anywhere between a 150 and a 151. I've got Indiana as a one-point favorite. I think that they're going to be able to pull it off outright. I was, at first, thinking that this should maybe be more like a two- or three-point line, but I just take a look at this matchup, and I think that it's terrible for Iowa. Trace Jackson Davis along with Ray Thompson. These two guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 15 rebounds per game, and then you take a look at TJD. He has been absolutely tremendous for this team. 19.5 points, three blocks, two assists, eight and a half boards per game. I mean, the guy is just a stat sheet suffer. 17-plus points in four of the team's last five games. He he has been able to give the team multiple blocks in four of the last five. This is against Big Ten competition. Now, Keegan Murray is the leader in scoring in all of college basketball. 24.5 points, 7.5 rebounds. He shoots 36.5% from three as a six foot eight combo player, but Indiana has done a relatively solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc, and for Iowa, they're outside the top 135 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Indiana, they're in the top 10 with their defense, and we just noticed that with Iowa, when they wind up going up against these top defenses, they wind up cratering. Philip Rabach has been able to give the team 5.9 points, 5.9 rebounds per game. Jordan Bohannon shoots 40% from three. He's been able to give the team 11 points per game, but I do think that Indiana could have success out there in the backcourt as well. This is an Iowa team that they don't turn the ball over. Indiana, they're not looking for steals themselves, so not necessarily much there. When it comes to Indiana, though, they shoot 35% from three-point range. They need Parker Sewer to get going. Shoots 46% from three, seven and a half points per game. Xavier Johnson, the X-Man is able to give this team 9 points, 4.2 assists, a 2.1 turnovers per game. Now, Indiana turned the ball over 13.5 times per game, but you look at their numbers, and they've actually shot it better from 3 on the road. They've actually turned the ball over less on the road as well. Carver Hawkeye Arena is not necessarily the world's easiest place to play, but I think that Indiana is going to be able to handle it well. I think that they're going to get Iowa in this spot. I also did wind up saying this at 155 and a half as you've got an Indiana team that is in the top 100 with regards to possessions per game. So I do think that you're going to get a little bit more of an up-tempo game and an Indiana win. So we're going to be taking Indiana with the New York Post play today. It's officially going to be the spread just because you never know how these lines wind up moving. So Indiana spread is a New York Post play today. I personally like them outright and set this at 155 and a half. So going over along with that Indiana play. 841, 842, 843, 844. Pair of postponed games between Southern Utah, Montana, Eastern Washington, and Idaho State. No money to be made here. So we go to 845, 846 on the main board. Weber State is going to be playing us Idaho. The Vandals hope to not vandalize bankrolls as a 15 and a half to a 16 point underdog. John's game is anywhere between 159 and 160 and a half. Now you've got a Southern Utah team that is really looking to push a tempo right now. And you've got a Weber State team that they're more around a middle tempo team, but they're very efficient. But I think we went a little bit too far here with this total. I set it more around a 148.5. When it comes to our good friends, the Potatoes, it is going to be very tough for them to be able to maintain this offense. As you've got an Idaho team that has actually been able to shoot it quite well from three-point range this season. But I do think that we're going to see some regression here, 38.4% to be exact. Mikey Dixon is shooting 47% from three with 17.5 points per game. Last year he shot 27% from three. So I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a crash here. 16-plus points in four of the team's last five games. You take a look at what you're able to get out of Trevante Anderson. 12.5 points, 5 rebounds per game. He has given the team 10 or fewer in each other last four, so that's been a little bit of an issue. You don't necessarily have a lot down low. Sander Christensen in that points, 4.5 rebounds per game has been solid, but I mean, once again, Yusef Salah is shooting... 
47% from three-point range. I don't think that that's necessarily sustainable as well. This is a team that they commit 14 and a half turnovers per game as well. And they generate 3.5 steals per game. One of the worst marks in all of college basketball, Weber State, is a team that has had a little bit of an issue when it comes to being consistent. They're shooting about 32% from three-point range with Jameson Overton. He has been over what he wound up shooting last year. 40% from three-point range, right around 12 points per contest. And then Kobe McEwen, the Marquette transfer, 17 and a half points, four and a half rebounds. He gives you a steal per game. And take a look at this Weber State team. They generate eight steals per game, but their top five scores give you at least 1.1 steals per game. I do think that you're going to see more out of Zaire Porter as well. A guy that last year averaged 12 points per game on 42% three-point shooting, seven and a half points on 28.5% three-point shooting this season. He has had five points or fewer in each of the last five games. I think that Weber State is going to look to get him going a little bit more, and I do think that he is going to be able to get going. And then you've got Dylan Jones giving you 13.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game. When it comes to Idaho, I do think that they should be a pretty hefty underdog in this spot. I did wind up setting this as a 16. So at the 15 and a half, it's pretty much a max I'd be willing to lay with Weber State. I would lay it before I would take it at a 16 as well, but certainly much more interested in the 15 and a half. And with the subtle set it at a 148 and a half as well. So I'm going to be diving under along with Weber State. 747-748 postponed game between Utah and Arizona State. So we move on. 849-850 on the betting board. We talked with our friend Danielle Avari about this game. UCLA is going to be playing against Oregon. Oregon is a 10 and a half to an 11 point underdog in your tallest game. It's anywhere team 141 and a half and 142. This is right on the total that I wind up setting. I've made my total 141 and a half. Here at the 142, I'm going to be taking a look at an under just because when it comes to Oregon, they have been throttling downward and I do think that when it comes to UCLA, they are probably going to be playing a little bit more conservative. I just don't think that you're going to see UCLA continue to get the absolutely ridiculous three-point shooting that we've seen out of Tiger Campbell. I mean, he's shooting 50% from three. After last year, he shot 25% from three. 12 points per game. Is he an improved shooter? Absolutely. I think that this is going to see a little bit of a dip though, but he is absolutely tremendous with 4.7 assists to 1.1 turnovers per game. And talk about good shooting. Will Richardson, 13.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, shooting 44% from three-point range, 16 plus points in four of the last five games. So he's been able to do a good job there. Jacob Young and Davion Harmon have been able to combine for 20.5 points per game. You've got Harmon shooting 37% from three, but for Oregon, 64.3% three-point shooting is terrible. They do shoot 34.5% from three. They turn the ball over 12 times per game, but they play at a bottom one hundred clip with regards to possessions per game. UCLA is actually in the top half of college basketball with regards to this. They have Johnny Juzang really going off 16 points per game. He's shooting 36% for three. Long time he has, so we will give you 14 points, five and a half rebounds and a seal per game. This is a UCLA team that they don't necessarily hunt for a lot of seals. They've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Miles Johnson in the post 1.7 blocks per game, but I do think that Oregon is going to be able to hold within arm's reach in this game. You have Eric Williams Jr. and Anfali Dante both giving you five and a half rebounds per game per game. Quincy Garrier, more on eight points, five boards. He's been able to do a solid job as well. I think that Oregon is just such a well-coached team. I think that they're going to find a way to keep this game within single digits. I set my line at nine and a half. Pretty much saying anything single digits, I'd be willing to lay with UCLA. Anything double digits, taking it here with Oregon. We're seeing double digits, so I'm going to take it with Oregon. Set my total at 141 and a half. So here at the 142, taking the under along with the points. 851, 852 on the betting board. You've got San Diego and the Toreros are going to be playing us Portland. The Pilots find them themselves anywhere between six and a half and seven point underdogs in your trials game in between 139 and a half and 140 and I tell you right now I am out on the San Diego team I am not feeling them and I think that Portland in terms of how they play against San Diego on a neutral court would be pretty dead even I set this line at three so 
It'll be taking a look at the Pilots now. Portland has been dealing with some ups and downs with regards to the schedule. Last time they wound up playing was the 22nd of December, so that is a little bit of an issue, but I take a look at this Portland team, and they are shooting it really well. They shoot 81.5% the free line, 36% for three. Tyler Robertson, who winds up following his coach, Shante Leggins, from Eastern Washington has been amazing for this team. 34% three-point shooter, 15.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3.6 assists per game. Chris Austin, the transfer from Fordham, has been able to give you 14.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Moses Wood shooting 45.5% from three-point range as a six foot seven combo player with 14 points, 6 boards per game. Mike Meadows has doled out 4 assists to 1.6 turnovers per game. Now Portland, they do turn the ball over 14 times per game, but you take a look at San Diego, and this is a bunch that they generate fear of the 5 seals per game. They have been able to shoot 36% from three but you take a look at them in their last five games. They're shooting more like 30% from distance. Troy Brown has been able to give you 2.8 blocks per game, but he has really been slowing down and just frankly hasn't been able to do a lot when he's been out there on the floor in general. Did have 10-10 and 10 in that game against Pepperdine, but Pepperdine, not necessarily a great team. He's had two blocks or fewer in pretty much each out of the last four games, so he has not been as effective. Jace Townsend is out of the fold. He's been able to get the team 12 points, shooting 47% for three, so his loss is big. Marcellius Erlington, 13.5 points, 6.5 boards. He's shooting 40% for three, so he's been able to do a very solid job there. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Yuzlov Kuldekin, who has been able to give you right around, I would say, five and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game. And he's been able to step up four plus boards in each of the last five games. He's been able to give the team a combined 22 points in the last two games as well. But I do think that Portland going to be able to hold in this game. The pause is a little bit of an issue for them, but I think that they're going to be able to overcome it. I do think that this is a game that is going to be throttled down as well. San Diego in the bottom 70 with regards to possessions per game. They just have not been able to throw the ball in the basket. Portland coming off of a COVID pause. That's going to be a little bit wonky for them as well. So, made my total 134.5. So, taking a look at the under. And when it comes to this San Diego team, can I make them a three-point favorite? So, taking a look at the points. 853-854. Postponed game between UC Davis and Cal State Bakersfield. So, we go to 855-856 on the betting board as you've got UC Santa Barbara and the Gauchos at the road to face off against Long Beach State. Long Beach State finds themselves in between a 3.5 and a 4-point underdog. And your tolerance game is anywhere between 147 and 147.5. I just think that this Long Beach State team is going to be finding themselves one of the worst teams out there in the Big West. I wound up making them an eight-point underdog. When it comes to this Long Beach State team, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out from some of your star players because you do have a guy in Joel Murray who's been able to fill it up with right around 15 points per game. He's already scored zero points on at least one occasion this year. Might be two. He's now scored 14 points or fewer in four of the last five games as well, so that has been a little bit of an issue. He seems to be slowing down there. You do have Abakur Terrayer, who's been able to give you six and a half rebounds per game. Not necessarily much of an offensive guy, though, only giving you right around five and a half points per game along Beach State. They turn the ball over 16.3 times per game. They shoot from the free throw line 68%, so got a lot of issues there. And then Amandu Sal for this UC Santa Barbara team, 17.75 rebounds, shooting 58% from three-point range. He has been relatively stinking good there. And then you've got Mr. Josh Pierre-Louis, who's been able to give the team nine and a half points, five boards per game. Now, his three-point shooting has been absolutely atrocious but has been able to give the team right around three assists per game as well. Now with the Gauchos, 14 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly. They only shoot about 31% from three, but you do have a very good on-ball defender. And Calvin Weishardt, seven points, three boards, three assists, one and a half steals per game. He's been able to do a great job with regards to his defensive effort. And then you have been able to get a little bit of something out of A.J. Mitchell. The freshman has been able to give you 32% three-point shooting on seven and a half points, four and a half assists, and a seal per game. He has been able to do a nice job recently for this team, generating multiple seals in two out of the last three games. He has combined for 11 assists in the last three as well while not turning the ball over. So I do think that Long Beach State can have a very tough time with this. Colin Slater is able to give Long Beach State double figures, but I think 
that UC Santa Barbara has all the goods to be able to take this Long Beach State team down, and I do think that it's going to be a very sloppy game. Long Beach State is a team that they don't necessarily guard the three well, so I do think that Santa Barbara is going to be able to find some open looks, but I do think that Santa Barbara is going to push Long Beach State out of their game, set the total at a 142. Long Beach State plays very fast, but I don't think that they're going to get that tempo, so going to be taking a look at the under. And with UC Santa Barbara, won't lay up to eight, so laying the points. 857-858 on the betting board. Cal Poly is going to be playing us at UC Riverside. Riverside has signed themselves between a six and six and a half point favorite in your Trollins game. It is between 120 and a half and 121 and a half. And I made this total 126. You've got a Riverside team that they do play very slow, but they're not necessarily efficient on defense. Meanwhile, you take a look at Cal Poly and certainly has been a little bit of a tough state of affairs for them, but I do think that this is going to be a spot in which UC Riverside pulls out the cover, set that at a six and a half. At six and a half, I'd be willing to lay it before I'd be willing to take it. So, I mean, especially at the six, willing to take a shot here on Riverside. Now, Riverside is only shooting 30% from three and 65% on the free throw line, but Zion Pullian is someone I do like 11.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists per game, and then got a 7-footer and Colin McRae. So, able to give the team 8.8 points, 8.6 rebounds per game. So, he's able to do a nice job there. You've also got Dominic Pickett, who's able to give you 8.5 points, a little bit over a seal per game. Not necessarily shooting it great from three-point range. That's his job of Flynn Cameron, who's bearing 40% of his threes with 10.7 points per game and then for Cal Poly. This team shoots 67.5% at the free throw line. 29% from 3 with 14 turnovers so they themselves certainly have their deficiencies there. Now Jacob Davison was able to give the team 12 points per game while he was out there. He has been banged up last time he wanted to play mid-December so that is a big issue for the team. Alamami Karama has been able to give the team 12 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. Not necessarily a great 3-point shooter. I will say Kyle Colvin has been able to step up 9.5 points right around 5 boards per game shooting 39% from 3-point range and when he's been out there, Travion Taylor has been able to do a good job as well. He's been able to give the team 8.5 points per game, but once again, a guy that has been missing for quite a while. You take a look at this Cal Poly team, and they wound up being able to suit up against CSUN a few days ago. That was their first game in over three weeks, so they wound up having a very long pause. I do think that that is going to work to the advantage of Riverside here. So with Riverside, even though I set my line at 6.5, I'd be willing to lay 6.5 before I'd be willing to take 6.5. I do think that Riverside is going to be able to bury some threes. Cal Poly, I think, is going to be a little bit out of sorts on defense as well, so set this total at 1.20 going over and willing to lay up to six and a half here with Riverside. 859-860 on the bank board. CSUN. It's Cal State Northridge. It's going to be in the road face off against Cal State Fullerton. Fullerton's between a nine and a half to a ten point favorite and your tallest game is between 132 and 132 and a half. When it comes to Fullerton, made them an 11 point favorite. With CSUN, this has just been an embarrassing program this season. They saw Mark Godfrey somehow, some way on administrative leave and they take a look at Aiden Wright. He's been able to do a solid job for the CSUN team. 12 and a half points per game, but he shoots 26% from three as a team. CSUN shoots 29% from distance. Now, they only turn the ball over 12 times per game, but they also have no flow on offense. Fewer than 10 assists per game, you would be able to get right around four boards at 10 points per game out of Oni O.C. He winds up coming in from Fordham, so he's been able to do a nice job there. Darius Brown has been out of the fold for this team, so that really hurts him. A guy that had an assist or turnover ratio right around three last season. And then you take a look at Fullerton and E.J. Onasiki is going to own the paint. 17.5 points, 7.5 boards per game. He has been terrific for the team now. This is a Fullerton team that they only shoot 28% for three themselves, but 76% the free throw line. They generate seven seals per game as you've got Dante Maddox and Darius Milstead combining for 2.8 steals and 18 and a half points per game. You've got the other Maddox and Trey Maddox, who's able to give you 10 points, three and a half boards, two and a half assists, and a seal per game himself. So these guys have been very solid. You're hoping for a little bit more here out of Tony San Antonio. Tory San Antonio right around eight points, three and a half rebounds per game on 45 and a half percent three point shooting last year. This year, three points, three point three boards, shooting 27 percent from the outside. So that has really been an issue for the team, but. 
I do think that Vincent Lee could be a little bit of a game changer for the team. 10 points, 5.5 boards per game, able to do a good job in the paint and with the CSUN team. You really don't have anyone down low that you're able to rely upon. Elijah Hardy's been able to give you right around 11 points per game, shooting 36% from three, but he needs other guys to be able to step up around him, and I don't think that that's going to be the case. So, did wind up setting CSUN as an 11-point dog, one to Ladier with Fullerton. Set this solo at 127.5 as well. You got a Northridge team that is now in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. Fullerton has startled down from last year as well. So take a look at the under along with laying the points. 861-862 on the betting board. San Francisco is going to be playing us to Loyola Marymount. The Mount is finding themselves a 9-point underdog in your tallest game. Between 136 and 137 with the Mount, I wound up setting them as an 8.5-point underdog. So I'm willing to take the 9 here. When it comes to Loyola Marymount, this is a team that they've got an absolute sad sheet suffer and a guy that actually wound up playing with the Ball Brothers at Chino Hill in Eli Scott. Scott has been just absolutely amazing for this team. He has been able to give the team right in the neighborhood of about 15.5 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, 3.8 assists. Never been a good three-point shooter, but does give you a seal per contest. And then you take a look at Kelly Leupape, and he's been a 6'6 combo player that's been able to give the team 38% three-point shooting at 9.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Joe Kitana, one of the most underrated sharpshooters in all of college basketball. Shooting 45.5% from the outside, 95% the free throw line, seal and per game with 15 points per contest. And then for San Francisco, Yuan Mazaliski has been able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game. He's chipping in there. Not necessarily as much on the offensive end, but 14 and a half points still relatively solid from Jabari Boye, 42% three-point shooter with 17 and a half points, five boards per game, and then Khalil Shabazz, who wound up getting off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year on offense. He's not giving the team 12 points per game as he's had 15 plus in four of the last five games, so he's been eating up San Francisco. Seems to be throttling upwards just a little bit. I do think that you wind up getting late game fouling in this one, so I did wind up saying the total at 136 half. At 136 half exactly, I'd be willing to take an over before I'd be willing to take an under now with San Francisco. They do shoot 66% of the free throw line, but more around 36.5% from three-point range. Meanwhile, for the Mount, they shoot 74% of the free throw line. So I do think that that could be big with the cover. So I'm also going to be taking the nine here in this spot with Loyola Marymount. But I do think that the Mount is going to be able to keep themselves within arm's reach with Loyola Marymount. Not necessarily a fast team, but a relatively efficient one. 136.5 or lower, going to be taking a look at the over and taking a look at the nine here with the Mount. 863, 864 on the bang board. Pepperdine is going to be playing those to St. Mary's. St. Mary's, a 12 and a half to a 13 point favorite. And your turn on this game is between 134 and 135. And when it comes to Pepperdine, I really am out on this team, but I think we went a little bit too far. I wound up setting this line at 11 when it comes to Pepperdine. You do have someone in Hunter Mallet who has been able to do a solid job as a freshman in the backcourt. He's been able to give this team right in the neighborhood of about 12 points per game. Someone who has been hit or miss with his three-point shooting, but shooting 36% from the outside. Pepperdine does shoot 77% of the free throw line. 15 turnovers per game does kill them, but when it comes to St. Mary's, this is not a team that is necessarily going to go out and seek a bunch of seals. They've been able to get right around seven seals per contest. The guy that has really been doing this is Logan Johnson. Two seals per contest. He's a guy that's able to chip in their 10 points per game. And I do like Dan Fotu and Tommy Cousy. These two guys combined to be able to shoot 42% from three. Both guys give you between nine and 10 points per game, between three and a half and 4.1 rebounds per game. Cousy right around three and a half assists per game. So they have both been very good for the team. And you've been able to see a little bit more out of Augustus Marcellinus recently, a guy that only shoots right around 22% from the outside, but has been able to give the team 4.5 points, 2.2 assists per game, has been helping flow this offense. And he's been able to give the team a combined 7 seals in the last four games, so he's been able to do that. And then Matthias Toss, right around 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, not necessarily a great 3-point shooter, but he's able to give you a block per game, but Jan Zidek has been solid for Pepperdine, right around 12.5 points per game, a guy that shoots 31% from the outside. Not great, not terrible. You've been having a little bit of an ailment to Maxwell Lewis, but he has been able to return at just 2 points 
in the last game against San Diego, but prior to that, it had combined 41 points in his previous two games. I do think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And then Keith Fisher, the third, should be able to do a solid job on the glass. Six and a half rebounds per game for him. You take a look at it, and he's had five plus rebounds in each other team's last five games. So, as we would do a nice job there, I do think that St. Mary's is going to be able to win this game. But with St. Mary's and the slow style that they play, very hard for them to be able to cover these sorts of numbers. So, it is a spot in which I set the spread at 11. I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Pepperdine. Pepperdine has been really slowing down outside the top 160 with regards to possessions per game. St. Mary's always really, really stinking slow. So, set this at 126, diving under as well. 865, 866 on the betting board. You've got yourself BYU and BYU setting the road to face off against Gonzaga. Bulldogs are finding themselves a 13 and a half point favorite in your tallest game. It's anywhere team 153 and 154. I do think that Gonzaga should be a relatively sizable favorite. I do think that we went a tad bit too far here on this one. I set the line exactly at 13, so I'm going to be taking a look at BYU. You've got a guy in Alex Barcelo who's able to give you 18 points per game, shooting nearly 50% from three, and it's no fluke. In the last three seasons, he has shot at least 47% from the outside in every one of them, so he's ridiculous now. Gonzaga is also ridiculous. You take a look at what you're able to get. Uh, Drew Timmy and Chad Holmgren. These two guys are combining for 31 points, 14 and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. Holmgren, 3.4 blocks per game on 36% three-point shooting. Julian Strother shoots 37% for the outside, 13 points per game. Rajir Bolton makes 44% of his threes, 11 points per game. Andrew Nemart, 4.8 assists, a 2.2 turnovers per game, eight points per game for him. So you've got a lot of guys coming through, even Noah Hickman, Anton Watson, Hunter Salas. These guys have become good rotation pieces. But you do take a look at BYU, and when it comes to Tejan Lucas, he's done a good job I'll be able to give this offense a little bit more flow. 4.7 assists to right around 2.7 turnovers a game. Not a great three-point shooter, but at 33%, that'll certainly fly. Spencer Johnson is someone that is averaging right around eight points per game for the season before or fewer in four of the team's last five, but still playing relatively solid defense. Fusani Traer is able to give this team eight and a half points, eight boards per game. You take a look at him down low, and he's given the team at least 11 boards in four of the last five games. So while I do think that Timmy and Holmgren should be able to win the battle, you've got a BYU team that with he along with Gideon George, another guy that's able to give you right in the neighborhood about seven points and six rebounds per game. They should be able to hold up at the point of attack. Caleb Lonner also gives you six and a half rebounds. This is a BYU team that I think is going to try to slow this game down. They've been taking on a little bit of a new identity. I myself set my total at 153. At the 153 exactly, I'd be taking a look at an under, especially if I'm getting a 153 and a half and a 154, which I'm starting to see pop up as well. I'm certainly in on this under now. BYU, I think that they lose this game, and I think that they lose this game by double figures, but I do think that they're going to remain competitive. You wish that Kevin back could be out there for the scene, but certainly I do think the BYU going to be able to give Gonzaga the rest shot. I'm willing to take 13 and a half here. When it comes to 153 or higher, take a look at the under. 867, 868 on the bank board. Arizona is going to be playing against Colorado. Colorado, a 15-point underdog in your Tallahassee game. Same so between 149 and a half and 115 and a half. Talked about this game a little bit with Danielle, and it's a spot in which I'm willing to lay up to 15 and a half here with Arizona. So here at 15, it's pretty much my max, but I'm willing to lay this number with Arizona. They have proved to be very trustworthy in these spots because you've got Ben Matherin who in my opinion is a top five player of the year candidate. How about 19 points, six half rebounds shooting 38 and a half percent for three point range Azulis Cabellos, great job down low 15 points, six boards, guy that right around six foot ten is able to pop threes and it's not necessarily been his forte there but Kirk Carissa, 12 and a half points, five assists to fewer than two turnovers per game shooting 37 percent for three, Arizona in the top 15 with regards to possessions per game but Colorado they're a team that they've been playing much more slowly this year. They were able to go off and have a pair of big performances against Washington and Washington State, but let's call it what it is. They're not necessarily doing a great job on defense. You've got Jabari Walker, the son of Samaki Walker, 13.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. Colorado, they shoot 32% per three, but on the road, they are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. Evan Batty has been able to give you right around
right around 12 and a half points, four and a half boards. Now he shoots 52% from three-point range, but I don't have a lot of faith in this backcourt. 13 and a half turnovers per game. You've got Keyshawn Bartholomew's been able to give you 11 points per game. Eli Parquet, right around eight points per game. But these guys don't do a great job facilitating. Bartholomew's 2.6 assists per game is right now leading the way. You don't get a lot of rebounding either. Neek Clifford has actually been able to give you right around five rebounds per game. He's been a nice cog for this team recently, averaging nine points per game in the last three. So he's been able to pick it up a tad. But I do think that Arizona is going to be able to take this team to task. Even someone like Justin Kyer has been able to do a nice job out there in the backcourt. You've been able to have some good production recently out of Umar Balo, right around six points, five rebounds per game for him. He wound up having 10 rebounds in that game against Cal Baptist. So I do think that Arizona has all the pieces to be able to win this game comfortably. Made them a 15 and a half point favorite. One late here. Set this one at 146. Arizona also one of the better teams in all of college basketball with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. So diving under as well. 869, 870 on the bank board. USC is going to be playing us to Oregon State. Oregon State between a 14 and a half to a 15 and a half point underdog in your tallest game is anywhere between 140 and a half and 141 and a half. I set USC at 15. At 15 and a half, I'd rather take the points rather than lay a 14 and a half personally just because I just think that this is a big number. And once again, like we were talking about Danielle, I can't trust in this team at the free throw line. USC in the bottom 10 with regards to free throw shooting percentage at 60.7%. Now Isaiah Mobley is legitimately a top 10 t- player in all of college basketball. 15 and a half points, 9 and a half rebounds at 6 foot 10. Let's apply at a 46% clip from 3 point range. Boogie Ellis, 12 points, 4 boards. He's been shooting more in the mid-30s from 3 point range along Drew Peterson. Great name, 10.7 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.3 assists per game. But then you take a look at the flip side for Oregon State and you've been able to get more recently out of Gerard Lucas. 13.5 points per game, but take a look at it. 14 plus in 4 out of the team's last 5 games. Shooting 38.5% from 3 point range while we're with Alatiche. 12 points, 6.5 rebounds, a block, and a seal per game. And then you also have had Mr. Deshaun Davis be able to step up. 9 points, 4 rebounds, right around 5 assists per game. A guy that's been able to get the team 12 plus points in 4 of the last 5 games has been having his turnover woes right around 2.5 turnovers a game for the season, but 3 plus in 4 of the last 5, but did a better job in that game against Oregon. What I think is going to be big is getting someone like a Maurice Kalud to be able to give you a little bit more of something. Xavier Malone Key is someone that wanted coming in from Fairleigh Dickinson and hasn't necessarily been able to flourish recently, but 8 points or more in 3 of the last 4, so he seems to be rounding into form a little bit more, so I do think that Oregon State is going to be able to remain within shouting distance of this one. I said this at 135. Oregon State has been playing a bit slower this year. USC, they're outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game, so I'm willing to dive under. And with this spot, I'm willing to take 15 and a half before I'm willing to lay 14 and a half, so going to be taking the points with Oregon State. Last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games is out there in Hawaii. 871, 872. UC Irvine hits the road to face off against Hawaii. Rainbow Warriors are a six-point underdog, and your tallest game is anywhere between 131 and a half and 132. I say UC Irvine is an 8.5 point favorite. It's hard to go on the island and win, but this is just not a vintage Hawaii team. You take a look at the Bows, and they're right around 230th with regards to possessions per game, so they're not necessarily playing fast, and I will say Noel Coleman has been good for this team. 18.5 points per game, shooting 51% from three-point range. Shell with Ailman a little bit earlier in the year, but now he's had 22 plus points in each of the team's last four games, so he has one off there. Who's going to be able to help him out there? Jerome DeSirius, who winds up coming in from Princeton, has been able to shoot about 33% from the outside, giving the team 7.5 rebounds per game. Can be a little bit of a spotty player, but by and large, he's been able to do a relatively solid job, but where you're going to be able to get out of someone like a Kumaka Hepa, who has been able to give you 49% three-point shooting, but he's been very inconsistent over the team's last five games. 9-16, 0-16, and five points. So, that's a big, giant issue. He also has had a combined 10 turnovers in the last three games, and then you take a look at the flip side for the Anteaters. We give our ode to our man, Ian McMillan here. Zot, zot for them as Colin Velp. 15 points, six rebounds, shooting about 31% from three-point range 
range, 86% the free throw line. This is a Irvine team that they really don't take a lot of threes. They are in the bottom 20 with regards to possessions that end in a three-point shot. They shoot about 35.5% from three-point range when they do take them, though. Dawson Baker is someone that has been missing recently from the backcourt, had been able to give the team 11 points per game, but even without him, you still have out there someone like a DJ Turnit Up Davis, guy that has been able to give the team eight points, shooting 39% from three-point range. I also do like what you've been able to get down low out of Austin Johnson. 6.2 points, 6.8 rebounds, two and a half blocks per game. has been a complete dominator with that aspect of things, so I do think that UC Irvine is just going to be able to bludgeon Hawaii on the glass. I think that this is a game that's going to be very, very slow. Hawaii's not going to get off a lot of good, wide-open threes, so set UC Irvine as an 8.5-point favorite. Willing to lay it. Set this all at 125, so diving under as well. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. 306-181, 306-182 is up first. Florida Gulf Coast hits the road to face off against Kennesaw State. We give our O to the Owls here. Go Owls who find themselves as 2.5 to 3-point home underdogs still on this game in between 148.5 and 149.5. Kennesaw State has upped their tempo a little bit. I think that this is still a little bit too far because Kennesaw State not necessarily overly efficient on offense. Set this total at a 143. When it comes to Kennesaw State, they do shoot about 35.5% from 3-point range. I've actually really liked what I've seen out of Kaysen Jennings. He's been able to give the team right around 8.5 points per game, shooting 41% from 3-point range. Has been able to give the team at least one steal in each of the last five games. And then main scorer for this team, Chris Youngblood. He's been able to give them 14 points, shooting 38% for the outside, 83% the free throw line, but I'm going to say the 15 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly. They do generate 8.5 seals per game, but you'll just notice in the step-up games, Kennesaw State, not necessarily terrific now for Florida Gulf Coast. Walking bucket himself, Davion Dunbarton has been able to give you 20 points, 6 assists, a steal per game, shooting 38% from the outside. Even with Victor Rosa out of the fold, you've had Silas Largie be able to do a solid job, 12 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. He has been able to be very consistent with regards to his rebounding, 5-plus boards in each of the team's last four games. Kevin Samuel, the transfer from TCU, 11 and a half points, nine and a half rebounds, three blocks per game. He should be able to dominate down low against a Kennesaw State team that doesn't have a lot of size. Young Blood is right now leading the team in rebounds. You've been able to get right around five and a half boards and 12 points per game out of Spencer Rogers. Temple transfer has been able to shoot about 35% from three-point range. It has also been able to give the team three assists per game, but I do take a look at someone like a Caleb Cato being able to help out with this Florida Gulf Coast team as well. Eight points per game, shooting 38% from three. Matt Halverson is a good sharpshooter as well, so I think that Kennesaw State is going to have its hands full in this one. Seth Florida Gulf Coast is a five-point favorite, made this total 143, so laying the points and taking the under. 306-183, 306-184. Army is going to be playing us Boston U. Boston U finds themselves a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and you're this game between 141 and 141 and but this total at 135.5. You've got a Boston U team that ranks in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. Army plays up tempo, but Army is not necessarily efficient. You take a look at this team, and they are one of the worst free throw shooting teams in all of college basketball at 60.5%. They do shoot 33% from three point range, but they also turn the ball over 14 times for contest. You've got Jalen Rucker along Josh Caldwell. These two guys have been your main contributors for this Army team. 28.5 points per game, right around 9.3 rebounds, 5.7 assists, nearly three steals per contest, but they turn the ball over 5.7 times per game as well. You've been able to have also someone like an Aaron Duart give you six points per game. Charlie Peterson, great name, 8.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, but then from there, you need guys like a Matt Dove who gives you 4.5 points per game to be able to come through, and he gets very sporadic minutes, and then you take a look at Boston U, and Walter White has been, not necessarily himself, ever since suffering an ailment, but it seems like he's getting closer and closer, 6 plus 3 
rebounds in each other team's last five games. Has been able to shoot 35% from three-point range this year. Javante McCoy, 17.5 points, 2.5 assists, shooting 49% from three-point range. And then you've got Sukhmail Bathan, 14.5 points, 9.5 boards. He's been terrific for the team. Devin Zink still out of the fold for them, but you should be able to get a little bit more out of Ethan Britton Watts. Moving forward, a guy that last year shot 47.5% from the outside, just 24% this season, but has been able to come back. He wanted to be the year, a little bit banged up himself. So, one lay up to a four and a half here with Boston. You laying the points and made this little 135 and a half. Can't really trust an army with their free throw shooting. Good to be taking a look at the under along with laying the points. 306, 185, 306, 186. Loyola of Maryland is going to be playing us a Lafayette. Leopards are finding themselves as a six point underdog in your tallest game is anywhere between 137 and a half and 138. Made Loyola a six and a half point favorite. So, we'll delay the six here. When it comes to Loyola, you do have Cam Spencer, who has been incredibly efficient for this team. 19 points, five rebounds, 3.7 assists, 2.1 steals, and he turns the ball over just 1.1 times per game. Loyola shoots about 32.5% for three-point range, 70% at the free throw line. Jalen Andrews, he has been able to give the team two steals per game as well as Loyola Maryland. They get eight as a collective now. They themselves turn the ball over right around 14.5 times per game. And for Lafayette, to their credit, only about 12.8 turnovers per game. Neil Quinn is a seven-footer that gives the team 13 points, four assists, eight rebounds, and 1.2 blocks per game. But what are you going to be able to get around him? You do have Tyrone Perry being able to give you right around 13 points per game. He's chipped in there 13-plus points at each of the team's last four games. Leo O'Boyle. O'Boyle rules 9.7 points per game. And then C.J. Fulton has been able to chip in their 7 points per game, shooting 39% from 3. Lafayette is collective. They do shoot about 33% from 3-point range, 71.5% in the free throw line, but they just have been playing absolutely no defense whatsoever. Loyola Maryland has been looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. Lafayette a little bit more slow, but I do think that Loyola Maryland could get their tempo in this game. I think that you might see a little bit of late game falling here as well. Set this at 142.5 going over, and we'll delay the 6 here with Loyola Maryland set them as a 6.5 point favorite. 306-187, 306-188. Holy Cross is going to be playing also American. American is finding themselves as a 1.5 point underdog in your tallest game is saying we're between 136 and 137. Now in my personal life, America is always number one. With American on the betting board, I made them a 2.5 point favorite. So we're going American when it comes to this game. Spencer Beckton Jr., 13.5 points, 4.5 boards, shoots 35% from 3, and well, they're going up against a Holy Cross team that we're going to call it what it is. They are not good on defense out Jarrell Gates has been able to do a nice job down low for this team. 14 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. You take a look at him recently, he's been able to give the team at least 14 points in each of the last four games. You've got a guy that has been able to do a great job giving you four seals in the last two games as well, and at least one seal in each of the last five, but when it comes to American, I do think that Johnny O'Neill is going to be a little bit of an X-factor. 6'8 combo player giving you 10 points, 5.3 rebounds, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. You've been able to have 36% three-point shooting out of Elijah Stevens. Stevens has been able to give you a combined 24 points in the last two games as well, so he's been able to emerge for the team. And then when it comes to Holy Cross, you do have Kyra Luch, who's been able to give you right around 12 points per contest, shooting 39.5% from the outside. Dijon Humphrey has been able to shoot 38.5% from the outside. He gives you 8 points per game. And then Judson Martindale, 10.5 points, 4.5 points per game. But this is a Holy Cross team that they don't do a great job of being able to give themselves second chances, where you can really hurt American is on the glass, other than Gerald Gase. They don't really have a lot of guys that do that. So I think that American, in a good scheduling spot here, got a Holy Cross team that is playing very slow right now. American, they're not necessarily Blazer either at the 137 that I'm seeing. Going to be going under. Set this all at 136.5. And with American, made them a two and a half point favorite. So taking them on the money line. 306-189, 306-190. Maybe he's going to be playing us to Colgate. Colgate is finding themselves as a five point underdog. Dolan's game is saying we're between 139 and 140.5. Colgate finally has Nelly Cummings healthy. And I think that that's a big key. Set Colgate as a two point favorite. As a result, I'm going to be taking them on the money line with Nelly Cummings. He's been coming around with his 46.5% three point shooting, 17 points per game. 
has returned to the fold in the last two games. He's had a combined 26 points and 6 assists in those contests. Now, turnovers have been a little bit tough, and Navy is a team that they do wind up forcing right around 8 seals per game, despite being in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, but you need someone to be able to step up outside their top two. John Carter Jr. along with Greg Summers. They combine to be able to give you 25.3 points, right around 10 boards, 2.5 seals per game, and for Carter, shoots 43% for 3-point range. You do have 46% 3-point shooting out of Jalen Walker, more like 43% out of Patrick Dorsey. These two guys have been able to combine for about 13 and a half points per game, but Dorsey has been missing for quite a while, just wound up returning in the last two games, so I do think that that might be built on a little bit of sand. Sean Yoder has been able to give you six points per game, but he's been a little bit of an interesting guy that is very hit or miss. Keegan Records, meanwhile, on the flip side for Colgate, right around six boards per game, very good rim protector with right around one and a half blocks per game. Jack Ferguson shooting 39% from three. Colgate overall, not necessarily a fast team. They're more around like 180th with regards to possessions per game. They're just efficient. They shoot 39.5% from three-point range. They do a good job of being able to get to the free throw line. Ryan Moffitt, nine points, five and a half rebounds per game. I think that Colgate going to be taking this one over Navy. I did want him saying this out at 138. Once again, Colgate, contrary to popular belief, not necessarily a fast team. So take a look at the under and make Colgate a two-point favorite. So taking them out right on the money line. 306-191, The Bracket Boston Bucknell Bison playoffs of Lehigh. Lehigh's find themselves a three-point underdog in your total loss game. is anywhere between 146 and 147 half. Set Bucknell is a three and a half point favorite. So I'm willing to lay the three here. Pretty much nothing more, but willing to lay a three as you've got Bucknell getting back Andre 3000 screen. He and Andrew Timberman have been able to do a nice job down low. They combine for 19.7 points, a little bit under 13 rebounds per game. Screen is able to give you a block per game. Bucknell, they shoot as a collective 79%, the free throw line 34.5% for three-point range. We've got the Funk and Andrew Funk giving you 18 points per game, and then Xander Rice 12 points, three boards, three and a half assists per game. So these guys have been relatively solid now. What are you going to be able to get out of Elvin Edmonds, I think is the question. He has been a very spotty player that shoots right around 43% from three, but he either gives you a good performance or nothing at all with right around six points per contest. And then you take a look at the Mountain Hawks and they've been dealing with a few injuries on the team, most notably to Marquise Wilson, a guy that has been able to average nine and a half points per game, has returned in the last two games, averaged about 11 points in those two games. So it looks like he's getting back to sort of his watermark from a little bit earlier. You've got Jacob Alamundin, who has been missing recently for this team. He was a little bit of a reserve guy that was able to give the team right around four points per contest. Nick Lynch is able to give you six half points, three and a half rebounds per game. A guy that shoots 39% from three-point range, so he's been able to do a solid job there. Take a look at Evan Taylor, right around 13 points per game. He's been able to go off for 13 plus in four of the team's last five games. Six half rebounds, shoots 37% from three-point range. Lee is a collective. They shoot 32% from three, 72% the free throw line. Big question is Jamero Wilson. He shoots 41% from the outside overall for the season, but eight points or fewer in three of the last four games. He's been dipping a little bit with that regard. Meanwhile, he has been turning the ball over quite a bit in this time span as well. He has had a combined 15 turnovers in the last five games, and I think that Lee going to have a little bit of a tough time in this spot. You've got a Bucknell team that's looking to play very up-tempo. Lee looking to play a little bit slower. Set this total at 145, so I'm willing to dive under. If Bucknell made them a 3.5-point favorite, so want to lay the points. And we wrap things up with... 306-193, 306-194, Winthrop. It's going to be playing as UNC Asheville. Asheville is finding themselves as a 7-point underdog in Utah. This game is 150.5. I set this line at 6.5, so willing to take a 7 here with UNC Asheville. Asheville has been a very much up-and-down team early part of the season. They just weren't able to get online, but recently they've been playing their best basketball. True Bember is someone that is right around 6'9-ish, down low, 11.5 points, 
five rebounds, and 3.7 blocks per game for a Nashville team that today shoot 37.5% from three-point range as a collective. Tajon Jones, 13.5 points, 4.5 boards, making 42% of his triples. LJ Thorpe shoots 36% from three, 11 points, 3.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists per game, and Asheville has cut down to about 11 after an offensive game. Winthrop has actually played a little bit slower recently, but DJ Burns, who wound up being the number three recruit in the state of South Carolina a few years ago. Zion Williamson was number one, and Aaron Neesmith was number two, so that shows you the company there. Six and half points, five rebounds in terms of points on a permanent basis. One of the best players in all of college basketball, Corey Hightower and Patrick Good have been very good. These two guys combine for 22.8 points per game. They combine to be able to shoot about 46% for three-point range. Winthrop, they shoot 38% from the outside, but 67.5% free throw shooting is tough. They commit 13.5 turnovers per game. They get right around seven seals per game. You do have some guys that do a good job in their depth, but I mean, you take a look at UNC Asheville and they've got that as well. Cody Jude, seven and a half points, right around two and a half rebounds per game, shooting 40% from three-point range, and then Jamon Battle, eight points, four boards, shooting 35% from the outside, a guy that has been a little bit banged up recently, but I do think that he's going to be able to return to form along Trent Stephanie, who's been able to give the team just seven points per game this season, but you take a look at Stephanie recently, he has been able to give the team seven plus points in three of the team's last five games, has been able to chip in their four plus assists in three of the last four games, was committing just five turnovers in those last four games. So, taking the points here with UNC Asheville, I wound up setting my total at a 115.5. I think that Winthrop is going to be pumping up its tempo, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over as well. And that'll wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family podcast, the L a CityCast is also part of the VEASAN family podcast, and Danielle Avari, the host of that, she joined me in the second segment. So, big thanks to her. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter, size per usual. Please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I will be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 